He said, put your tents in camp, meditate and look at the sky. This is great. He said, he said, he said, he said, he said, he said, he Dark sky, it's a new moon, right? Put your tents in camp. We call it C Seti. Sounds like a party. C Seti. C Seti. C Seti. C Seti. C Seti. C Seti. How is it? that the film that has like the closest depiction of elite ritual parties filmed at the Rothschild's mansion came out a, a year to the day of the filming of Bohemian Grove and that the man <laughs> who was in charge of the project was the only man in the world with complete access to oh, all of its archives. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica show. We are going to be chatting with uh, David Charles Plate, Black Plate again a little bit later. Um, actually, we did a little video on this one, so you got to see David. wasn't what I was expecting. He's a great guy, though. Got to see his messy place. It was good to see his place was as messy as the igloo. It's always refreshing. Uh, we did do an episode with David. I think it was only like six months ago, too, so you might want to go back and check out this one. And, uh, yeah, David wanted to come back, so we had him back on, and we talked about a bunch more crazy stuff. And, yeah, check out the movies. One of you guys that uh, still eats acid needs to eat acid and watch... Uh, Sorry, Cassandra movie, and record the whole debacle and then send it to us. As if you watch a seven hour debacle <laughs> on acid, you could. So, he's hey. one of these guests where I thought that I, I, I forgot how interesting our first conversation was. Um, as we started, yeah, you know what? I had meant to listen to the first one to make sure we didn't repeat ourselves too much. And then we got tied off. I'm sure we did some repeating. I'm sure. Yeah. Be, yeah. No, but there, but there's still a lot of interesting. It's longer too. Yeah, it's great. There. You guys should enjoy it. But yeah, first look, he's already chimed up here. The one and only. Freeze my balls off. See city ground. Oh yeah. That was a cold <laughs> one. Make sure you ask people that. I just did. I suppose. You want to get right into it? Uh, No, not quite. You want to do our begging for support first? Right off the bat, you want to beg for money right out of the gate? That's probably not a bad idea. Okay, let's just get it over. Nobody gives us any money, so maybe if we do it now, (laughs) before they skip ahead. No, we do appreciate all the new subscribers, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And they now have access to our extra content, so nothing has changed in Grimerica, but we do have a bunch of extra content out there, a little more controversial, maybe a little more political sometimes, different different types of stuff as well. That's right, and the word on the street is that... um, you mean the word in the chat? Is that where you're getting your street from? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. About the bonus. Oh, About the word that. on the street is that the new iOS 11, I can actually take a little video of my screen. So I think I'll be able to make a little video of Instead how Instead of a screenshot. Yeah. It's a screen vid. Yeah. That's awesome. You do I it like and then that. you can record for a minute. So I should be able to make a little video of how to subscribe to the Black Budget feed. Because it's an ongoing problem. Is it really? Yep. So do remember, I did make the website. So if you email me, I can give you a special password protected URL that'll get you that way. If you're not using a pod, pod catcher. If you're not using a pod catcher, if you don't know how. Or if you're one of the YouTube people, one of the weird YouTube people, like Coop. <laughs> Coop. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, well, no, let's explain this from the beginning. So if you donate anything, any amount, any one time, any monthly subscription... 
Darren will see it and email you manually. This is the way we do it here. It's not like this huge automated process. It's not like automated spam. Darren will email you a link for your podcatcher or your podcast player. If you're not using that, he can send you a protected URL to listen on the website. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's a whole separate feed in your podcatcher, and, and it's also there's also a way to do it without that. So it's manual. Be patient. If you don't hear from him, email me. <laughs> no, I'm pretty good on that. I like to think I keep up to date because now that I'm caught up on everyone. So like I say, if you're on a monthly and you don't have it yet, something is wrong. Because I, th- I think I'm up to date. Okay. Right now. Okay, good to know. He's not up to date with reading my emails. At one, at one time every day. Yeah, but a new subscribers, you know. Yeah. I get two emails in a row when a new subscriber yeah, comes yeah. out. So yeah, I'm having... Double whammy. No, and if I... If and I I've got a, it copied, so it's really like... Usually what I'll do is the second I get the email notification, I'll do it right then, because it literally takes like fucking five seconds. I just copy-paste. Boom, boom. Yeah. I go and I have it saved in my notes. Okay, good. And 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 you can email me too, Graham at GrahamAmerica.com for your stories and synchronicities and sightings and stuff like that. I do I do read them all and I try to reply to all of them as well. And if you haven't heard from me, you can always just um, remind me. I lose track sometimes. It is hard to keep up sometimes with uh, the show and everything uh, else going be, on. It can be nearly impossible to try yeah. to keep up, especially when you get in a one of those little streaks where they're just coming in like wham wham wham. Yeah. Shit gets tricky. So yeah, there's other ways you can leave voicemails. There's other ways to support the show. There's um, no one ever leaves voicemail. T-shirts. Somebody else was asking about. They're going to leave a voicemail. Did I leave? Did, have I played all the most recent voicemails? Actually, the last ones I played were the Eclipse ones. I think right. And we also have a um, some garments and swag on uh, Redbubble. You can go to GreatAmerica.ca/slash/swag. Oh, and uh, it's all in the show notes as well, all the ways to support us. Yeah, there's a whole list of shit that you guys should be doing. And honestly, we can't do it without you, and we don't want ads. We don't want sponsors. It's, this is like surely hey, here, here listener a support, and that's it. Okay, okay. Have you listened to it yet? No. Well, this is kind of risky. Yeah. Hello, Darren and Graham. <laughs> Nikki B here. Nikki the oh, dude. Figured <laughs> out how to do this, maybe. <laughs> so here it goes. Eclipse report. Had a great time in Hopkinsville. Met Janine, fellow Grammarican from oh, episode nice. 200. Nice chat with her. Met good people at, at the cemetery where Edgar Casey is buried. It's where I watched the eclipse oh, from. Wow. wow. It's very quiet, very calming. Down there, we could hear the town going crazy, having a big party up there. But really enjoyed what we were doing and met Matt, David, Kim, several other people there. Hopefully, I get some good pictures from David as I've already gotten a couple. One you can see on my uh, Facebook profile and also the clips picture I'm using as my profile pic on the Discord chats now is from David also. He says he's got lots more coming. Hopefully they'll be as good as those are. Headed to Cryptid Con this weekend. Ooh. So now that I've 
got this speak pipe thing going. Maybe I'll get some good shout outs from friends and family there. Except Darren Keep didn't play faith. it in time. Continue on. <laughs> Just do better. And hey, Camelin, good job on staying away from that nicotine. Keep it going, man. Later. Two people I got to quit smoking now. So wait, I actually have his cryptocurrency report. Oh, good. Yeah. Sorry, Nick. He's a little late there. Probably after. No, it was only, but... it's only a week old. Well, actually, no, it's, no, it's, no, never mind. Older than that. <laughs> this one's not that old, though. This one's only from the ninth. Here at Crypticon 2017, Frankfort, Kentucky. Missed Lyle Blackburn's talk, but met him in the merch area. Got a couple of movies from him. Listened to some of Lauren Coleman's talk. Listened to some of uh, Bruce. Can't remember his last name right now talk sea serpents and local lake monsters pretty interesting so far getting back with y'all later this is Nikki B signing off thanks Nikki thanks Nikki B alright okay there we go <laughs> we had the new moon dark sky which is great <laughs> had a plan camping pitched a tent for the night. At least they threw your. Uh, oh, remind me, I have to so play it out with Ryan's jingle. I totally forgot again. We started seeing flash bulbs. Streakers coming down. Grim them up. We need to make a music video for that. I could just picture you doing the bow, bow, bow with your fist. <laughs> that's how you get into Mars One. Bro. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Theatrics. I probably missed my Mars One chance. You think so? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're way too old. Yeah. Maybe. Actually, they might need the wise old sage. I need more of a scientific <laughs> background. And anyways. So, yeah. So, we went out. Another SeaSeti trip. Again, the best part about it was the company and chit-chatting with people. Lots of things in common. It was great. Shout out to Brian. who uh, So, Brian, Jason, and I stayed overnight in our tents woke up in the morning frost everywhere it was like minus five yeah yeah that's what cold. happens cold you were in the mountains right uh no is it going down to minus five here i haven't had frost here yet yeah it's been fr- it's been frosty in the city has it yeah so yeah anyways uh nine of us did the same type of same type of thing same type of protocols um yeah lots of activity again right away different activity though a little bit different like still still flash bulbs and stuff like that we didn't see those two lights come flying in low and silent and all the way across the sky like before but we definitely saw saw lots of stuff lots of flash bulbs a couple different uh lights so i mean it was it was good it was a success we only stayed out there for a couple hours because it was pretty cold like literally you know, barely above zero. Yeah, that's cold. Yeah. You know, what's funny is me and Mike were in the studio that night talking about how if we knew where we were, we would come and stalk you. That's secret. I know. So that's why you don't tell me. Because I, I totally would have uh, came. We'd, me, and, me and Mike were in here bored. So we totally, we were watching YouTube videos. We totally would have stalked you guys out. <clears throat> 
We tried to see the uh, Iridium flare. I've got a new satellite app, so it can track satellites, make sure that we're not, you know, yeah. looking at satellites. But I, but we missed it. I couldn't see the Iridium flare. I use Sputnik. Yeah, I tried that. That's the one that was telling me where the Iridium was, but I, I didn't see it. Really? But yeah, but it was really good. Clear night again. It was, uh, it was gorgeous. I think you can see the ISS a lot of the time, too. So the interesting thing is, man, it's like, you know, we went, we went a few... A few months, almost a couple of years, probably with not a lot of activity. And now last two times in that spot, there's definitely more activity and different, slightly different activity as well. But flash bulbs. You guys are starting to gel. Yeah, maybe. It's all the coherence, all yeah, the coherence. Be. Yeah, that's right. You're learning. Hey, you can come out one day, maybe. I don't think I should. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. What else? Wow, are you done see SETI? Well, yeah. Okay, I'm going to play else. Ryan's jingle. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's enough. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Dark sky. Sounds like a party. I'm not going to want to. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Too much repetitiveness there. That was the end of it. Yeah, I'm not even going to want to tell my stories anymore. Oh, come on. These are the best. We're getting the best jingles we've ever got on your C-SETI stuff. Uh, so anyways, we might start some new groups. So at the nine minute mark of the Frank Joseph episode, there could be some juicy tidbits in there. Just saying. <laughs> I don't even remember that stuff. It's your Mars One application. Oh, is it? Yeah. Until you made me shut it off anyway. <laughs> you want to play it? No. I'm quick? No. Witted? No. <laughs> is that where that was coming from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to it like four times. Oh fuck! We got time for a weather modification segment. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah, you have. Okay. It's a bit. It's a bit long, though. Of course it is. Uh, you know what? I'll even give you your decent. Uh, which one is Kate it? Bush single? No, don't work no more. What the fuck? Oh. I think the jingle. Oh, that's it, eh? The jingles are done? The jingle machine broke? The jingle machine seems to have broke. Did you jingle the cord? I'm, I'm going to see here. Let's try. The researcher. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, that's the wrong one. Death dumps. Otherwise known as chemical trails. Being dropped and sprayed throughout the United States, England, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Europe, and I have personally seen them not only in the United States but in Mexico. Birds are dying around the world. Fish are dying by the hundreds of thousands around the world. This is genocide. All right, so there's lots of, you know, lots of information now about geoengineering and weather modification, chemtrails, that kind of stuff. 
That's right. Especially after this, you know, Harvey and Irma. So, I mean, we, it was pretty raw. We don't really want to talk. I don't want to throw a bunch of, you know, crazy stuff out there, but definitely. Just, yeah. uh, but we got lots of listeners and stuff that love this segment and have been sending me stuff. And we're mentioned. Our city is mentioned in one of these clips that I'm gonna, about to play. And yeah. it's, a, it's a citizen. Who says you're going to play any clips? Play <laughs> <laughs> <Under> the court. <laughs> Um, Quick, with it. <laughs> I forgot all about that. So this is a guy who sneaks in. No, he doesn't sneak in. I mean, he, he goes in like normal into a, a weather modification company. And he's nice. interviewing a pilot. Ooh. So I might... I'll play a little bit of it, but then I might mute it and just read the the transcript a little bit. Or actually, I could probably I could probably just play it. So here we'll see what it sounds like. Are you one of the pilots that does the wedding model? Yep, sure. Now, can you would you like can you be in a video of me? I'm doing a documentary about what you guys do. Can you just tell me what you do? I can't okay. be in a video until I get approved by somebody else. Oh, you gotta get approved. Yeah. Okay, I'm only here for like a couple hours. I can't, actually came from. Well, not, so the camera's not really pointing at the guy, it's just hanging off his lapel or something like that? What you do? Fly through thunderstorms. Is that what you do? Yep. So you fly an airplane that has chemical attachment things? Yep. We use silver iodide. Silver iodide? Yeah. And it's, and the reason we use it is inert, it's environment. So he's saying that silver iodide is safe. And you'll never find it in the background. When it burns, it burns into a crystal form. Mm-hmm. It looks just like an ice crystal. So when right. you put it in a cloud, the water says, hey, it's one of my own, and it attaches to it and freezes. Okay, so it makes it so... It- so did you catch that? So it didn't. What? Yep. Silver iodide burns and turns into an ice crystal and attaches itself to the cloud, right? So it had, there has to be a cloud there, apparently, for this. Let me... I'll keep it makes going. clouds, basically. Does one of your clips meet you, Kaku? No. Talking about his trillion watt lasers? No. Right. So the ingredients have to be there, but sometimes the ingredients are there, and in the natural process, it doesn't multiply and get going, so then nothing comes out in the rain, the snow, whatever. Right. So are there, is there currently projects going on in the United States right now? Yep. We have a project in North Dakota for rainfall enhancement and hail mitigation. Really? Minimizing the effects of hail. We have one in Calgary. So you, you can stop. Calgary! Minimize the effects. Minimize the effects of Yeah. Make it small. Yeah. But so can you can you cause uh, it not to rain too? No. Yeah, not my not. experience. So, but like, the Chinese say they can. I don't know that they can. Yeah. So he's got some notes on here that they do it. They do it with barium salts. They said they stop rain. Yeah. Well. So we, we haven't perfected that in the United States? No. Or you guys have? Well, we haven't. I don't think anybody has. In really? The world. The Chinese say they do, but scientifically, when they explain it, it doesn't make sense. Right. So when, so, you, get your, when you get your orders, you just fly where they tell you to fly. Right? For the most part. I mean, we're... When we're working, we're on a contract with something—a state government, a state entity, a foreign government, right. or a water district, you know, that has hired us. So we have an area that we can only fly in. Right. Whatever. So whatever. Whatever. Area, whatever. Your, whatever, whatever your project area. Right. And so you get you get contracts from the United States government, right? No. Nope. Oh, you don't. No. Nope. 
but other governments, other countries. Yeah, like counties, like North Dakota, there are four counties that get together, vote uh -huh. on it, levy their taxes, and then the state, through the state of the of North Dakota, they also get a little bit of funding. I think it's like ten percent. Really? And then that's it. Then they they pay for it themselves. Um, so the county, like, the county, the state the county, government pays for it. The counties pay for it by by voting on it and levying mills. Really? To get taxes. Yeah. There. Wow. Now some places, a water district, will take their. I don't know where their money comes from exactly, but like a watershed area. Right. And they'll take probably taxes as well, and they'll set it up, vote on it. Yep, we're going to do this project. So some the, places are power companies, like hydro water companies. They'll pay for it themselves. Right. And Calgary, an insurance company pays for it. So I saw a, a thing out there. You have the lime ones too? The, the, yep. That one out there that's, that I saw in the parking lot. Yep, that's for... Um, for s snowpack in the mountains. So, so they increased the snow in mountains. Oh, you did? Perfect. That's better for skiing. You should be all over that. Yeah. I mean, we've known this is going on. I mean, we've talked about it for years on the show. and we t We've read government documents and all that kind of stuff. But it's just cool to hear a pilot talking about it. I mean, even James is going to bring us out, you know, one of these days. To seed hail clouds. To seed hail, Yeah. That sounds fun, actually. So, I, I, I can mean, get that one. And then, so this is just one little company who's doing weather modification for a bunch of different uh We'll throw magnets out the door. And then, like you mentioned, uh, the insurance company in Calgary paying millions a year to for hail suppression. There was some insurance back in my hometown. What? There, there was some some hail in back yeah. of my hometown. Yeah. Fuck, I think it wrote off a bunch of vehicles. Really? Damage so bad, they just write them off. Wow. Think of what that fucking cost. Should have drove down there. I'm sure your car was under under fire. No doubt, just beat it with a bat. <laughs> so then I got this other one. It's about five minutes long. If we got time, five fucking minutes. Yeah, it's a it's yeah, a it's a newscast. It? We'll see. I might cut you off at some point. Okay. So it says here: if you don't believe in chemtrails or weather modification, then you need to watch this. So this is an actual mainstream. This is a nightline, ABC News. Fake news. Craig Funky is flying me to the edge of a violent thunderstorm. You see how nice and crisp the top of that cloud is up there? Yeah. But the former commercial pilot isn't some adrenaline junkie courting danger. He's a cloud seeder, chasing this menacing storm to squeeze out extra rain for the drought-stricken farmland below. As a pilot going through school, you're taught to avoid thunderstorm. This is Craig's job. He's got, a, chemicals into the clouds, he's got a picture here of a bunch of rockets on the back of his wing all, all lit up. Rainmaker. That dark, thick cloud over there has lots of moisture in it. That's part of the cloud that was seeded. It actually looks heavy with rain. Cloud seeding has been used around the world for decades. <laughs> but it's now getting a closer look as farmers desperate for solutions endure their fourth month of record-shattering drought with no end in sight. It's actually the largest drought in half a century, responsible for rising food prices and record wildfires. It's even suspected to be a cause for the recent surge in cases of West Nile virus. So we came to South Texas to find out if cloud seeding can really maximize our most precious resource, or if it's just a romantic notion that doesn't hold water. We can't manufacture cloud. That is just absolute basic Bullshit. We, we cannot make it rain if it was not going to rain to begin with 
Tommy Shearer is president of the Texas Weather Modification Association. <laughs> He's quick to explain that he can only enhance the weather, not create it. Oh, sure. The cloud is a factory. We're inducing a lot of raw material into the factory so that the factory becomes more efficient. And more productive. Consequently more productive. Right. His team of pilots and meteorologists are constantly scanning the skies for the right clouds to see. Where everybody's going to get some good rain. After 10 bone-dry days, a promising cluster of thunderstorms is finally headed their way. Butch is today's standby pilot. He takes the first run. It looks has got all these flares on the back of the wing. Up in the air, we get a bird's-eye view of Butch's delicate dance. He's just working the very edge of it. And then Butch finds the cloud sweet spot. Okay, he's fixing a light of flare. Okay. Oh, I see the yeah. flare. Yeah. It looks like he's uh, painting the sky. Oh, the looks like he's painting the sky. Huh. I wonder what that looks like. ...particles into the cloud, where they collide with drops of water and ice and produce even more moisture. Then usually silver iodide and what? I, that's what I. You know what? That's so weird. I was then you sounded like. Uh, so what is this white smoky stuff over here? That's right. Oh, that's more moisture. Then with drops of water and ice and produce even fluoride particles into the cloud. Fluoride. That's no. Was it? Flares yeah. are shooting millions of silver iodide and calcium chloride particles. Oh, calcium, calcium chloride. Where they collide with drops of water and ice and produce even more moisture. Then, usually within 20 minutes... So what is this white, smoky stuff over here? That's rain. Oh, that's rain? Yeah, that's rain. <laughs> All this is rain out there. Turn step on the turn left face. If you go out and you see for a few hours or all day long and really know you did some good, it's a good feeling. <laughs> The radar data collected today adds to a growing body of evidence that cloud sitting works. It can double the amount of moisture in a given cloud, and the Texas programs boast a 12% increase in annual rainfall, thanks to seeding. And long-term studies show those chemicals are environmentally safe. They can't even be detected in the rainfall. But despite all the data, some of cloud seeding's biggest critics are surprisingly the very farmers who stand to benefit most. And this isn't the first drought we've been through, and it won't be the last. Bill Slumchinski's family has been farming this land for five generations. He and his son Brett tell us it's expensive to irrigate 300 acres of crops. All that watering cuts deeply into profits, but they are skeptical that anything short of divine intervention can actually make more rain. What do you make of the cloud seeding program? Well, when you've been in a drought since 96 and we've had one wet year, is it working? We can't stop droughts. We can't <laughs> break droughts. Uh, we just try and put a little more water on the ground. And every drop of water, Craig explains, helps feed the underground aquifer used to irrigate crops. So though he can't promise Bill and Brett more rainy days, he's convinced cloud seeding is helping them in the long run. Okay, I got the MSDS for calcium chloride. Oh, right on. Good job, buddy. We got... Wait, before you say that, the MSDS, the MSDS of the other one, the silver iodide, was read after, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, but the Citizen Journal one, the last half of that video was a lady uh, reading the MSDS from... The part of the video I just cut off? No. Oh, okay. So the p potential acute health effects, hazardous in case of skin contact, Ooh. irritant, or eye contact, Ooh. Or ingestion, no inhalation, slightly Ooh. hazardous in case of skin contact. Oh. Potential chronic health effects, carcinogenic effects not available, 
Oh yeah, that mutagenic was effects. Mutagenic for mammalian somatic cells. Mutagenic for bacteria and/or yeast. The substance may be toxic to the heart, cardiovascular system. Repeated or prolonged exposure to the substance can produce target organ damage. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty scary. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying that they're doing that for any ulterior motive except for to create more rain. I mean, I don't think that's right, but I'm not saying it's any more extreme than that. But, of course, the annoying part of it is they don't take that into account with this global warming fear-mongering, right? So if you're making it rain everywhere or making it snow everywhere, how is that not affecting the climate? If you're measuring stuff and you're making predictions based on that, how is this not taken into account? Like I would go as far as to say that this is making more of this intentional global weather modification is making more of a difference than us spewing out carbon dioxide. Who knows? I'm just totally totally speculating. Yeah, you're speculating. The rambling speculator. I got a couple other things here, too. I wonder if I should just save them for next time. We got 12 minutes. So, I mean, where do you want to go for the, with this here? So, you I mean, the, did the spiel, right? So, there's, a, there's an interesting weather mod report that I actually just got from Instagram. And Alan, Adam um, Curry talked about this on the show. And, you know, he kind of sloughed it up. No agenda. Um, sorry. He kind of sloughed it off a little bit because it was far away from, from Houston, but this is a trans Picos weather. The picture mo- Michael's pictures. Michael were sending us of the, like the way the hot and cold or the warm and cold fronts were lining up to suck the storm into what's it called? We're pretty impressive. If you, once you start thinking like that, you can almost look at it like a big game of like, global weather chess yeah like maybe mexico did it so then we hit him with an earthquake it's <laughs> <laughs> not funny no it's not so this, funny. but this is a report there was another fucking earthquake today really yeah a bad, the- worse one yeah a real bad one today wow that's two in two weeks i'm not paying for that wall whoa trans picos weather modification association so this is in texas a seeding report from august 24th 2017 So it says, the southwesterly flow aloft will work in conjunction with abundant surface moisture to help initiate shower and storms. It it appears to be the best shot will be across the western sections of the Trans-Picos where a a weak dry line is set up. And then it goes down further on. So then it talks about the freezing levels and the lifting mechanism and all this stuff. And it says, uh, discussion. Shower and storms were ongoing across southern New Mexico into the northern edges of Trans-Picos. And then let me see what it says here. And then it says, uh, Pilot will fly along the south to north heading ahead of the convection to see what we have to work with. Pilot arrived to larger shower system in the Culverson-Reeves County, that's Texas apparently, for seeding opportunity. Yeah, so uh, we took it and fired two dosages of glaciogenic flares, but Pilot was getting into some heavily embedded cloud coverage. We'll move to the next northeast, to the northeast just out of the town where the development is ongoing. However, it appears that the anvil from larger system to west has blocked any additional heating. 
Still, one dosage of seeding took place in this cluster of new shower storm development. The pilot tried to give other showers a fair shot, but Mother Nature was not playing along today. We'll return at 22%. No, we'll RTB at 22% and regroup for tomorrow. And then it talks about like flare locations and... Seeding operations were conducted over Reeves County. Six flares were burned within two clouds. This is the first day of seeding in August and the eighth day of seeding during the season. So it's not a lot in that area, but, you know, couldn't you argue that you're fucking with the weather pretty close to where the hurricanes are? Like, should we really be fucking with the weather? I think I'd argue that we should. Come on. Really? No, no, seriously, though. Why not? Come on, because we don't know the effects of it. Sorry. Just let just if you don't like it, move. Like people should be migrating to where where it's safe. Probably in general, you know, our culture, not just fucking with the weather. Like I, I don't know. I'm just I, I just got a major problem with it right now. It's, for a while, yeah, for a while, for like a year. Yeah. Well, because then, then they're you know they're calling us deniers, right? That we deny climate change and all this, all these buzzwords, and you know, way to pigeonhole us into some sort of crazy category when this is going on all over the world. And this is just like this guy is saying how he's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty quick to say, "Oh, we don't create clouds and all that," right? I'm, I'm sure other people are are doing that in their programs, right? Stop Probably. me from saying right. Anyways, right. I'll, sa- I'll save some for another one. So I can do, I'll do another one after this next week. I'll do part two. Sounds good. Part two. We do have to wrap it up. We're okay, live I got on the, this other show. I like got seven the, uh, minutes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. We don't normally have time constraints like this, but today we do. Today we do. Are you doing the quote or are we skipping it? UFO quote. No, we got to do it, man. For all the fans out there that like the UFO quote. This thing had to be going double-digit mock, making turns that I didn't think were possible, breaking all the rules of physics. The man that visited me later told me in no uncertain terms to keep quiet. He told me I would lose my pilot's license and it would be the end of my flying days. For 30 years, I've said nothing. That's retired Air Force pilot Milton Torres discussing this F-86D Sabre fighter jet UFO incident in 1957 in which he was ordered to shoot down a UFO hovering over the British countryside. And then that's from the Air Force Times Review, 2008. There you have it. That's it. We'll jump in the chat. I did actually want to mention that uh, the earthquakes in Mexico are no laughing matter, and our hearts go out to anyone down oh, there who totally. is affected by them. I know uh, I've seen, I think there was already like 50 or 80 people killed and some people trapped. and. Red's thing broke. Something fell out Red's house and broke. What are you saying? Don't don't send more hurricanes up our way or? No more fucking, you know, if people are fucking with the weather, they got to cut that shit out. You gotta wonder, eh? Or if it's all connected to the sun or if maybe fucking Yellowstone's going to erupt on the 23rd and the world's going to end. 23rd is coming up? September 23rd. Yeah, it's like Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, man. World might end this weekend. All right, guys, enjoy the chat with David Charles Plate.
All right, back in the studio, we've got David Charles Plate with us from SyncBook.com. Myths, Magic, Media, and Mindscapes is a community exploring the impossible, mixed media type stuff. Welcome back to the show, David. It's good to have you here. Hey, glad to be back. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. I got a quick story here right off the bat from uh, from our last episode. Like we were talking a lot about your synchronicities between Pink Floyd and different movies and stuff like that. So we had a meetup at this cabin. I mean, I don't know if we want to get into this right now, but we could. You should, yeah, right you off should, the bat, yeah. Okay. Let's do it. I'm interested. So we had this meetup at the cabin, and we were playing. I mean, the, 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 the internet sucked there, so that made it sort of difficult. But we were streaming um, your your, inform, your your stuff, like Pink Floyd stuff and all this, and and we were all getting into it. And one of the ones was The Wizard of Oz. And uh, we, we saw this symbol when Dorothy fell. I mean, I've I've, I've only seen the movie probably once in my life so i barely remember it but when we were watching it what was dorothy doing falling in the bed darren i think yeah the bed was falling that's right and at the end of the fall this symbol showed up on the screen and i thought i wonder if david knows about that thing and we 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 took us like a half hour of pausing it frame by frame to try and catch at the least thing. a half an hour yeah well i don't know if it was that long but it was it was really hard to catch this because it was literally just one frame it was a symbol so we ended up taking a picture of it and i sent it to you and at first we all thought Did it you was send just it to david as well yeah. yeah okay at first we all thought it was just normal like type type set like uh, like a semicolon and an i or a capital or a backslash or something like that but then guys were looking at it and they're like that looks like a, a cross that's broken off like it definitely was like <laughs> embedded in there for some reason. Were you guys high or what? <laughs> I was not me. I was only only sober. No, when I, no I, I see what you're saying. I like I like the semicolon. You could take it almost like a wink or something. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's funny. I emailed it to you, so take a look. That's what. That's so was what. This, this was a video that somebody had put together themselves of pairing the, the uh, Dark Side of the Moon, The Wizard of Oz. No, from what I can see, it's from the original movie. I think it's from the original movie. What? Yes, and it was from yours. I think you had it paired, didn't you, David? That one. Uh, well, that's 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 uh, that's what really kicked it all off. Uh, you know, back in the day, somebody called up a radio station and dropped that on them, and then it just you know it became really popular. And uh, in the like, I guess the early '90s, late '80s, or something, they used to play it in, in theaters together. Oh, and I didn't would know go that. And I didn't... Watch that. And so it, it's interesting because this is one of the biggest challenges of my life is copyright. <laughs> so like now, if I if you try and do that and you want to charge, you know, you can't. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, but that was they considered it an, an exceptional thing because it it uh, you know falls under the idea of of research. And so that's what I'm trying to argue for the work that I'm doing. And I've struggled a lot dealing with hosting sites because people don't. Unless if you watch it through, it's hard to know what I'm actually doing because if people look at it and they're like, oh, so you paired some music. And I was like, no, the the, um, the archetypes behind the thing, it's, un, it's uncanny. Like, you know, the, everything will sync with everything to some degree or another. If you're listening to freaking, you know, commercials, you know, over the radio, it doesn't matter. Like, it'll just, it, things will do that. But I'm really interested in like when things have kind of like, like you have like a concept album and the concept album will have a, a certain subtext and that subtext will often be like understood, um, you know, by real, uh, uh, you know, the more intense fans. And so like you can have that happen where you have a film that has its own subtext and you have an album that has its own subtext. And if you, you know, uh, bring them together, you know, sometimes things will happen, especially in the editing process. You can look at it sometimes and it's just like it doesn't make any sense. It's like, how can how can this album 
win doubled or tripled or quadrupled? How can it like you start at the second that it begins and it'll end the second that it ends, you know, like to the second, like that's just crazy. So I'm really interested in, in probability theory, you know, um, like it's one thing if you know the Wizard of Oz Dark Side of the Moon, that it does what it does. It's pretty awesome. But uh, it's it's like the the third round when she comes back home and it says home home again. I like to be here when I can. And the yeah. way that it lands like completely in sync with her. Be like if you don't watch it through, you wouldn't know that. So like with my films, it's like you can't necessarily watch like five ten minutes and then walk away and think you know what it was that I discovered. Although you know oftentimes things do uh, fly off the handle right off the bat. But sometimes it's like you know uh, the the second round will be that much more impressive than the first. You know and. So that gets really interesting, but yeah. So I didn't realize that. I, did, I thought we were watching his, we went through a bunch of your stuff in the cabin, and then I guess somebody must have brought up Wizard of Oz. Or I don't know how we got to Wizard of Oz. I but, can't yeah. remember. But if you pull up that, that weird symbol, like pull it up and do you have it there, David? Yeah, I was looking at it, yeah. Yeah, so what, I mean, what, have you ever seen anything like that? Like, what do you think that is? Like, the, <laughs> no, there's like It looks like know. there's a cross broken off. Like, how can that be embedded in the in the film? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know if that's in the original cut or not. I know that, you know, my mom swears up and down that when she was young and she saw the Wizard of Oz that it had a different ending than it has now. She <laughs> she swears really? she swears that Dorothy gets out of the bed and she's wearing the ruby slippers at the end. Um, oh, that's and so funny. like, I, I don't know. I know that I've gone to see movies in the theater and then the, when they were released on video afterwards, they 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 had things changed around like who, who framed Roger Rabbit was like that. There was like little bits that the baby had said that just were no longer included and stuff. So I know that that can happen. Right. I also know that, that the same claim has been made by people with uh, the, the birds that at the end of the uh, Hitchcock's, the birds, when they show up in San Francisco, the birds are like in San Francisco, like it shows you the golden gate all covered in birds and it was a down ending instead of them actually getting away. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's true. It kind of seems, seems like it falls under the mandala effect kind of, or not mandala, excuse me. Uh, mandala, mandala, yeah, yeah. That was a Floydian slip, but, uh, <laughs> No, it's just it's well, I like like there's certain uh, Mandela effect things that really get me. And they're, they're the ones that get me are the ones that don't rely so much on just people having a different memory, because like people will bring up like Empire Strikes Back or Field of Dreams and be like, if you build it, they will come. And they insist that it's they and not he. And then they'll be like, it's not, you know, Luke, I am your father. They'd say, it, it, you know, it, that's what it is. But it's it's not that it's, you know, n no, I am your father. But the thing is, is that when you ask people that's, that are like really intense about those particular two especially it's like they can't remember the other lines around what's said like if you could name other say other lines and you're so you know confident on your memory then i'm, I'm more open to it but it's hard it's kind of like an occam's razor thing i'm like the simpler explanation is just that they remember it differently because it was popularized by people repeating those key phrases over and over again uh but like with field of dreams it's about his father so like I got a field of dreams sync up right now with with Bull Durham and uh, John Fogarty's center field. And so the, the two films uh, came out like within a year of each other and uh, they happened to pair with that album like incredibly. And so like and they were like pretty much the same length. And so both Kevin Costner baseball movies. It's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, but no, the thing is, is like. You know, that the father is the context of the movie. He's emphasizing his father. And it's the same with the with the album. And so there's a repeated reference being made. So it's not just that, oh, okay, well, this is baseball and that's baseball and that's baseball. It's that, no, no, these actually are, are communicating the same point around, around baseball. And so, um, it gets, it gets more interesting that way, you know, than just being like, oh, well, 
you know, what, what makes for correspondence. That's what theosophy is all about. You know, like uh, theosophy is very similar to, uh, you know, Albert Pike's morals and dogma, like, you know, the secret doctrine and ISIS unveiled. Uh, but it's actually generally pretty empirical. So like if they make a reference, they back it up. Whereas like in morals and dogma, the quote unquote, you know, Masonic Bible or whatever, they'll make statements and there's no no one to back it up other than Albert Pike. And he'll just be like, oh, well, this was secret, so I don't have to. Yeah. And uh, that gets kind of ridiculous, you know, as far as I can tell, because it's like, well, you know, because that became the basis for uh, that film Zeitgeist that came out. There was yeah. that, uh, and so like, you know, there was like a whole list of things that they stated and it came from this one woman who wrote a book called uh, The the Christ Conspiracy. I forget her name, I have her book somewhere, but you know, she she the only reference that she has stated is Albert Pike. And so it's like, there's no, it's, it's got no, uh, you know, support behind it other than his authority. Yeah. Whereas like theosophy isn't like that. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, but that idea of like where you see a correspondence between two things and you bring them together and then you can extrapolate more information than you could otherwise. So like, what I'm looking at with the work that I've been doing for 20 years with the album film pairing thing, you know, that I've just been completely obsessed with. It's like the number one thing in my life, you know, um, is uh, <clears throat> where, you know, you're you're uh, you're looking at, at, at two things that shouldn't necessarily be be uh, re- re- like, you know, I don't know how to say it. Like Crowley has this whole thing in the Book of the Law where he's like the rituals will be half revealed, half concealed. And oh, so yeah. and so there's this idea in the secret, not so secret societies, that if you want to move up the grades beyond the known grades, that you have to contribute something to to the great work that is seen by all on one level, but then for the inner circle, they get their own thing. And, they all, and this phenomenon is one of the only ways I could think to do that as far as media is concerned. Because you do, you will see things communicated that are that are really profound, you know, that you wouldn't get from just the album on its own. You wouldn't get from just the film on its own, you know. And so, um, yeah. It's <laughs> well, Darren and I were talking about that earlier today or yesterday about whether this is intentional or not, or whether we thought that was intentional or not. Like this, this synchronization is it just from from some other, you know, supernatural source, like connecting things, or is it actually people? you know, that are actually trying to do these little uh, things that are sort of half hidden. Yeah, I believe it's both. And I think that that's the kicker is that to have the intention to do to do something goes a lot further than most people might assume. Yeah. And so when you look at uh, Jung's book, Synchronicity and a Causal Principle, where he coined the term, you know, most of that book is dealing with uh, like influence, like in consciousness and like what is the probability for like if somebody's pulling cards from a deck and they have they're projecting the card that they you know hope to see uh, how many cards they'll go through before they land on that card and the fact that it like will repeatedly move in their favor doesn't I mean it doesn't stand to reason it's like that doesn't like there's no like straightforward explanation of that necessarily but there's definitely something to be said for you know the the right and left uh, hemispheres of the brain. And so, you know, what what is the basis for which? And so, like, that's how I interpret, you know, uh, Crowley's love is the law, love under will. I feel it's a Kabbalistic joke referencing Yaakin and Boaz, the two pillars of the temple. Um, so when you when those pillars are translated, you say Yaakin and Boaz is established in strength. Strength is Oz, by the way, it's Hebrew. So like, you know, L. Frank Baum was a theosophist. And so he was taking a lot from Blavatsky's work at the time uh, and other theosophists as well, obviously. But like, you know, uh, this uh, it's it's actually the pathway that connects the two uh, pillars of the terrestrial together. So you have, you know, Chesed and Gevora are the two Sviro flanking the Kabbalistic tree in the in the seven lower worlds. 
And so, you know, the pathway that connects them is strength in, in tarot with the arcana. It's tet in Hebrew, but it's, it's oz is strength. And so you're like, basically, you're looking at what is holding the empire together. So I have this crazy trip out with that guy who um, connected the wire between the towers. You know, my friend made this film, Back to the Future, predicts 9-11, you know, yeah. and he's looking at this, this French guy. And I'm just like, that to me um, is like the... Uh, a, a really direct example of the principle communicated in the Golden Bough. I don't know how familiar you guys are with the Golden Bough by Fraser from Cambridge, but it's like an anthropological, you know, really, you know, epic uh, book that goes, it's huge. It's so many volumes, you know, uh, but it basically shows the, the ritualistic killing of the king, right? Um, and how it was expressed all around the world. And it's going into like ancient, ancient, ancient times, speaking to the, the phenomenon of the scapegoat. So like, um, you know, scapegoat in, in Judaism was kind of a joke. Like if you look at the older texts on that, I've transcribed them uh, with my rabbi, you know, uh, we went through uh, three different um, references uh, in ancient texts to the phenomenon of the scapegoat. And, you know, it's this whole thing where they would, they would take a goat and they take a string and then this red string and they cut the string in half and they tie half of it to the goat's leg and they tie the other half to the temple door. If they, after they kill the goat in three days' time, if the string on the door turns white, then it means it's taken their, their sins with them. You know? wow. <laughs> and so, but it's funny because, like, when we were reading this text, I kept on coming across these things that seemed like jokes. Like, I was like, is this guy joking? And I was like, <laughs> my rabbi was like, yeah, he's totally joking. And I was like, wow, that's really something. You know, it's, it's not uncommon, you know, when you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, the, that kind of commentary, you know, with different things, but it was especially so with that. And so, you know, Christianity took that and combined it with the prophecy in the book of, um, uh, excuse me, I, uh, Isaiah, right? And so, um, and then kind of made it this other this other thing. But the, the, but the thing is, is that like in ancient times, the scapegoat was always guilty. You know, say what you will about Christianity, whether you believe it or not, this is not the point. The point, point is, is that, you know, uh, you know, just... Um, Objectively speaking, the idea is that this is supposed to be an innocent person that's being killed. And so it's similar to Socrates in a way from Plato, right? So it's like Socrates accepts his, his fate, he accepts his punishment or whatever, but he's, he's being charged with corrupting the youth, but he's innocent. Um, so not, you know, now what we're seeing in the world is kind of like, uh, you know, we're looking at people being scapegoated who are like, kind of like the epitome of what we're, we maybe shouldn't like about our, our society, you know? Um, so people, very greedy people, people, you know, so it's like, you can, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's under the circumstances, it's just where we find ourselves, you know? So we're kind of oriented in this way. So we go after somebody and you know we tear them to shreds and it, and it puts things into perspective in the process and so you know but that uh this phenomenon of where you, it's it it's also very related to the archetype of the fool so you know um in tarot you have the first arcana it would uh, correspond to olive you know so it's the first emanation from the kabbalistic tree if you're looking at the 22 pathways of the tree of life and how they relate to tarot you know mm -hmm. uh, the, the first alphabet right so it's like you have this first movement it's the fool you know you know that the the card with the fool he's going to walk off a cliff or whatever you know but it's it's the spring man it's the green man you know and uh so they're um they're emphasizing this this point in the the golden bow around the this outsider the outsider has to have certain credentials like he has to be first of all of the lowest class and he has to be a true outsider uh, you can't be from within the kingdom. And so there is this whole thing that they had in place to ensure the rejuvenation of the bloodline. Uh, I don't know if I talked about this last time I was on the show or not, but it's I don't really think crucial. So. I don't think it's so. Really, 
it's a really profound, crucial point because it's like, you know, this was uh, in old times, this was how they did things in order to ensure that they wouldn't keep the same bloodline in power for too long because of incest. And, you know, they didn't, <laughs> they wanted to keep renewing it. And so they related this to the, the tree that is the, the kingdom itself in order to, you know, keep, keep the empire going. And so this is what's communicated in, through the Kabbalistic tree of life. You're, you're looking at, a, you know, the, the Tetragrammaton is actually a family. And that's the understanding of the Sefer Yetzirah. You know, you have a father, a mother, a son, and a daughter. That's yud Hey vav Hey. And so that expresses itself in the Kabbalistic tree in emanation. So, like, they're relating to things as, as uh, going from etheric to growth. So things come into form, right? And so, like, what? so there's two orders to the Kabbalistic tree. There's the formative order. That's the 777 lightning flash for the European occultists with the way that they attribute the tree. So if you mark out this lightning flash, uh, the zigzag through the tree, through those 22 pathways, uh, those particular pathways that make up the lightning flash total 777. <clears throat> and so there's there's that order, and that's an organic order. That's like the, that's the actual formative order. That's what's described in the Sefer Yetzirah. And then there's the sustaining order of the empire, and that relates to Gavora, severity, the left pillar, the left side of the brain in the terrestrial realm. So the, that's where the Klepo come in. So you have this, this idea of these uh, uh, influencing intelligences in terms of our perception. And so a lot of the Zohar, the prophecy, the real prophecy is around the nullification of the Klepo. Like it's really misleading when I talk about 9-11 and the Zohar, you know, because I, I, I want to point that out, that it makes this prediction and it's demonstrable because uh, it's true. Uh, and at the same time, it, that's not really the prophecy. The prophecy is about consciousness and the evolution of, you know, what we are. Like it's describing us basically pushing out this child, which is the next species. And then it's, 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 yeah, so that's that pretty far like out. AI? But, well, I, I don't take it that way, actually. I mean, you could, you could make an argument that way. I don't really know, but I do know that there, but the, the thing that there, that is being emphasized, the one attribute of what the next species is, is that the, the two hemispheres that have been divided get united. Oh, wow. And, and so it's basically saying that the, the, on a collective level, and this is what 9-11 was made to, to communicate, made to represent. And it stresses that when the event happens, our right brain knows what it saw, but our left brain has to come to terms with it. And for all intents and purposes, it, as far as I can tell, it's describing a breakdown in cognitive dissonance. So it's saying that the timeline from when that event happens to the establishment of the one world government that uses this event as a springboard to accomplish its goal, it literally says this, like it has this whole thing that that time, that, that bit of time in, in human history is uh, the main characteristic of it is a breakdown of the left brain coming to terms with what it saw on that day. Wow. And that, and that, and that, that day is not just a lot, like there's all these events that whatever, you know, tragedies or whatever, it's like, uh, you know, like Nietzsche's the birth of tragedy actually goes into the same points. It's, it's really amazing. Um, that could go into that. And that relates to the work that I'm doing with the film album stuff so, because it's corresponding to the Seder chorus. But, um, so does that, is that like to, does that imply that, um, that they're coming to terms with the bullshit story or the actual trauma of the event or, or seeing the event everything. and being told it's one thing when it's, you know, very clearly not can't be the case. It's describing the way that we've been manipulated over time through these events. And so the reason why it's nine 11 is because that's Tisha B'Av. It's the equivalent in our calendar of the Hebrew date. So it's the ninth day in the 11th month in the Hebrew calendar is Tisha B'Av. So the Zohar gives what appears to be a random date for 2001, 
and has, you know, uh, but it's not a random date. It's 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 9-11 in our calendar. And then the commentary from the 16th century from Ramach is what I've transcribed along with the other text. And that's what's not available to people in English. And so I, I spent three and a half years transcribing that text <laughs> to, to make it available to people. But at this point, most of it is just in longhand. But upon request, I'll share it with anybody. I'm more yeah, than happy. Yeah. So does that um, prophesy the this whole cultural and political shift as well then with Trump and the 777 and the outsider and all that. Is that what that's talking about? Trump was elected on what was it? The seven, I don't, I don't want to get it wrong, but I do know it's something along the lines of like this, the 70th year, uh, seventh month, seventh day. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, there's definitely, so that was a 666 month of, uh, Obama's life or what? I forget how that goes. Yeah. There was some weird thing like that, but I mean, is that weird thing? Is that connected to what you're talking about or? Um, but, but that's the kicker is that, so the, the 666 thing, most people don't realize like that's, that is Gavora. So if you ever watch the movie Pi, Darren Aronofsky, and they're looking for a 216 digit number in the Torah, that's a, that's a joke about the state of Israel. No freaking question because 216 is the gematrical value of Gavora. It's six times six times six. They divide, add, multiply, understand. And it relates to the three pillars of the Kabbalistic tree. So you have the, the gematrical value of chesed, mercy, on the right, the right the right hemisphere. That's 72. You say 72 times 3 is 216. 6 times 6 times 6 is 216. But mm-hmm. that, but the, and then that relates to the klipot and the, and the sustaining order of the empire, mm-hmm. which you see in the lower worlds. And what, what maintains that is the diagonal pathways of the Kabbalistic tree. So each one of those pathways, depending on the way that they're facing, is a dimension. So if you're looking at the vertical dimension, that's a different dimension than the horizontal. So Oz, strength, what connects the two pillars, that line that the French guy symbolically made, and the fact that he's, um, I assume, is not aware of this stuff just makes it all the more profound. Just like that kid that climbed the Trump Tower, 21 stories, there's 22 arcana, including the fool. He's the fool. He climbed the Trump Tower 21 stories before he got removed. That's That's the equivalent of pulling the golden bow. Just like this guy, this guy, this French guy, I forget his name, Pep, some, I, I don't know. His initials are PP, which I find interesting because pay in Hebrew is the tower in tarot. So his name, literally that guy that made that. Well, Pepe, so, so Pepe, Pepe, yeah, Pepe means two towers. Oh, Jesus. That even. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we just got fucking labeled alt right. Yeah. I don't oh, think you whatever. can even say Pepe anymore. No. Right. Well, that's the funny thing too is that like so I'll talk about right and left hemisphere and like when what's described in Zohar in regards to the two pillars, but what they also emphasize is that the left brain projects <laughs> two pillars. So it but it relates to it on its own terms. It's hard to desc- to explain kind of, but this is a thing. It's like a graven image thing, right? So it's like you're wanting to relate to the right side through the left, what you're going to get is a projection of the left's interpretation of the right and not the right itself. And so that's what we're dealing with is a Holy duality shit. that's on the left left brain's terms. And so that's what's breaking down. And that's what the Zohar is describing. And then that's what characterizes the shift in consciousness. So it's saying that that basically that the last thing we see shift is the is the dense side of the manifestation so because everything's about emanation in zohar not just zohar that's true for all all mysticisms if you go deep enough you'll always find this principle of emanation emphasized and so it's like you can't have a discussion about religion with anybody or at least you know mystical religion without acknowledging the principle of emanation etheric to gross and what that what that means you know so this so basically yeah so this so. is a combination of it's a spiritual and consciousness shift into the middle, like your left and right brain through like, let's say some sort of spiritual middle ground with, um, 
I don't know. I don't want to get into details of that. And then there's the cultural shift as well, left and right merging into one and right. that, that both happening at once, you think? Well, basically what it's saying is that following this event, uh, even though it's been happening before, but it just gets, it's like a exponential type of thing where basically the left on a collective level thinks it's going to conquer the right. And so what it's describing is this movement towards a one world government is its attempt to do that. And that basically, but it's just saying that like everything that we're seeing along the way seems to point to like the ultimate tragedy, right? But it's saying that like there's a, that when we actually reach the crescendo, when we reach the zenith point, it relates it as a sex act actually. Uh, and also the giving birth, it's, you know, it has all, all kinds of different metaphors that it's analogies mm-hmm. that it's working around. Uh, but it's saying that it's basically like a, it describes a teeter totter because it's saying that there's a pin and then with this pathway and that we're leaning to go to try and, you know, to it, it, it describes it as uh, like essentially two fish. So the left fish thinks it's going to swallow the right fish. And when it actually goes over to make its move, it realizes that the thing that it thinks it's going to conquer and swallow is actually its own foundation. So it's describing a pyramid, essentially, and an eye at the top of the pyramid, because it has this whole thing from the Ba here where it's it's saying that uh, Gavora is, is communicated as a big red eye. And I'm just like, oh, you got to be kidding me, like Hal? And so I'm <laughs> like, so it's the left brain, right? What is Hal? You know, Hal 9000, 2001, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on for with that shit for days. I mean, you realize, like, Stanley Kubrick died 666 days uh, before 1101, exactly. Uh, Stanley Kubrick died 666 days after the first computer beat a man at chess. The computer that beat the man at chess <laughs> was built by IBM, which was admittedly modeled after HAL from 2001. Uh, it, it, and you know the thing where like HAL is uh, each letter removed from IBM. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, Arthur C. Clarke in, his, in one of his uh, books talking about 2001 says he was gifted a, a computer by Macintosh to determine probability. And he said the probability for that to happen, for IBM to be each one letter removed, would be six cubed. So though <laughs> so though he says it's a coincidence, so I'm just like, uh, you know, what is a coincidence? You know, I mean, that's, a, that's the big kicker is that like what this really comes down to and from what I gather is that it's the profundity of us uh, discovering numbers. So like we didn't invent numbers. We didn't invent math. Like math is already we invented the symbols to communicate the yeah, thing and yeah. to work with the thing. But the thing itself is very much alive. And that's the significance of the Babylonian sun square too. So there's tricks you can do with the Babylonian sun square that most people don't even know about. Even people who know how freaking weird it is. I don't know if you're familiar you got a grid, a six by six grid. Uh, that's, there's ones for old planets, but it's the oldest mathematics we have on the planet as far as I know. Uh, if you add up the numbers in any direction, you get uh, one, one, one. So you add them together, you get 666. So that's Babylonian sun square, 666, that's the equation. Uh, But if you fold the thing into a cylinder, there's a trick you can do where if you go in steps, uh, I think, what is it, Uh, Northwest, return to the garden, it's symbolic, right? So there's that thing where if you you divide Yitzchayim with the, uh, where, what, Kadem, where, where Adam and Eve leave the garden, you get, they're the ninth and 10th numbers of the Fibonacci sequence. And so if you divide them, you get the, the golden spiral. So they oh, say wow. that in Pi, but they're misleading because they say that it's Eden when it's not just Eden that they're using to do that. It's actually where Adam and Eve exit the garden. Uh, but anyways, the point is, is if you go in that other direction, you go in these steps, each number will be the next number in the sequence in a diagonal. And so this is supposed to relate to the diagonal pathways because this is a template of the Tower of Babel, which is why when you see paintings of the Tower of Babel, it's always communicated as this crazy spiral, you know, Um, and 
they reproduce that. Where was the giant building that they, um, I should know that derp. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's just, it's this, um, uh, this phenomenon where if and then you go the next line over and you can keep doing the same thing. You can basically use the Babylonian sun square to make this in, crazy infinite spiral thing. And, uh, that's pretty amazing. Well, then uh, didn't they find an ancient uh, numbering system that's, you know, how we use one to 10 and that's the basis of how we, we count. I mean, you could do it differently, right? You could have different, uh, a different calendar, right. a different thing. And this, this numbering system goes back to before Babylonia, I think with a sixes and they were using it as a, a six base numbering system, I think. Right. Well, six the, and the, 12. And the thing is, is like with, with the, the original alphabet. So the Hebrew Hebrew alphabet and where it came from, from the pictographs, the Phoenician and the Chaldean and all of that, you can see uh, developmentally uh, the way we we move further and further from the right brain and towards the left. So this is what language is. And so the Tower of Babel collapsing and no one being able to understand each other's speech is even more profound than most realize, like because the, the whole point is that we used to speak in math. So like uh, math, we didn't relate to the same way that we do now. Math was not left brain. It was it was as much right brain. Um, and so but the thing is, is that the right brain do, can't dominate. Uh, the whole idea of dominance is a, is a left brain idea. So that's why you have severity and mercy, chesed and gavora, right? Um, and this is then the mathematically they're communicating. Like, so it's, it's crazy. Like there's this whole it sounds unbelievable, but there's this amazing Stanley Kubrick connection. Cause like Stanley, so I, I'll drop some really weird shit on you guys if you're interested. <laughs> well, he probably faked the moon landings. Yeah, I just gotta. Well, I gotta so, the so battery, the battery's not... dying there. Oh, you got got some technical difficulties. Yeah, yeah. The, it's like one percent. Or can you hover over that battery symbol there? I just want to make sure something's not uh, gonna just. Oh sure. You can edit this afterwards, so we're not live or anything. Oh, we're good. We're good. Just keep going. We're okay. Good. Okay. All right. So yeah, ready to be blown away again. Okay, so there's this whole thing where basically I was looking at Stanley Kubrick presented MGM with a script for Napoleon way back when, in the 70s or whatever. And uh, MGM turned down the script. And over them turning it down, he left IBM. Excuse me, did I say IBM? He left MGM over over this thing where they wouldn't do his Napoleon movie. Well, four months later, production started for a movie called Waterloo. I wa- oh, so just... I watched this recently from from yours. Uh, I've still got I've still got Abba in my head. Right, right, that'll happen. <laughs> that'll happen. I got an Abba tattoo yesterday. I don't oh, know if you can see that. But, oh, yeah, yeah. It's been <laughs> yeah. like three. It's been like three days, and I've got the funny thing is I've got songs that I've never heard from Abba stuck in my head. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. If most people have a conception of Abba too, like they know the more popular songs. So yeah. Like, I got family in Sweden, you know, and I was there recently, and I go into the Abba Museum and all this stuff, you know. And my cousin just get thinks it's a riot because he fucking hates Abba. <laughs> he's like, I had to be raised with Abba. He's like, oh god. But uh, he doesn't realize their their all their back catalog and what's going on because they yeah. are they are dealing with some trippy stuff. So I made that seven and a half hour film. Sorry, Cassandra, I misunderstood. Everything predicts 9-11. That's an ABBA reference from their last album. So it's Cassandra in Greek legend is able to, you know, prophecy an event. But it's a, it's also a curse because nothing she can do can can stop the event from happening. It's like Jay-Z is a gift and a curse. Incidentally, Jay-Z came out with the blueprint on 9-11-2001. That was its release date. And if you take that album and you start it from the second that um, in the movie uh, uh, the, uh, the World Trade Center by Oliver Stone... Uh, at the beginning, when uh, Nicolas Cage uh, hits his alarm clock, it's the very first thing to happen. It's the first scene. If you start the album on that second, when he hits the alarm clock, it'll end the second that the film ends doubled. So it twins. No way. 
the yeah way. It's fucking crazy. And so, so you got to play thing. it twice. Yeah. Yeah. You, you loop it. And so if there's no gap, if you just do it straightforward, that's what happens. And so there's a lot of examples in my films, my experiments where it lands that way and they can all be recreated. And that's the thing. Cause I'll have people like, be like, Oh, come on, you warped it. So I'm like, no, I swear <laughs> to fucking God that look at it, look for your, look for yourself. That's what it is. Um, well, even the ABBA, even the ABBA and the Waterloo movie. So it was really weird watching this Napoleon Waterloo movie because I don't think I've ever seen that, but it was quite the epic film, actually. It was like a real interesting war war movie. And ABBA's playing in the background, and, and uh, even a lot of the songs would end during a scene change, and it would like oh, shift over to a, to a, yep. like, the, it seemed like a song that was suited for that scene change. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. And the more you look into it, the more you'll see that there's there's something happening with probability there that's just out of control. And it's also the timing in which the album came out following the film. It's uncanny that like Stanley Kubrick would be turned down for his script. I went to the ABBA Museum twice in San Francisco uh, recently. Not the not the ABBA Museum. Jesus Christ! I need to stop drinking this beer. Uh, I went to the fucking Stanley Stanley Kubrick exhibit at the Jewish Museum in San Francisco twice recently, and they have they had scripts there. And I'm just like, where's the freaking Napoleon script? Because like basically at this point i'm like and i thought so i thought this anyway i was like tripping out i was like wait a minute four months later this movie and so i hadn't seen the movie yet when i was looking into this and then i'm like wait a minute this is written by this guy hal craig and so it's 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 h dot a dot l dot craig no way. and so i'm looking into this guy and it's i'm starting to find weird stuff and i'm just like wait a minute and i'm not even sure i'm like is this even a real person and so like for real like i'm not i'm i don't know and so, like, while I'm in the middle of, of looking, I find this weird thing where basically he wrote a movie called The Message um, that was, uh, it's like the, the birth of Islam. And so, uh, I forget the year, I should know this, but at a certain point, there was a hostage situation in Washington when the, oh, it's, well, it's, it's March, uh, March 9th. Uh, I think 1977. I don't want to, don't quote me on that. But anyways, the point is, is that it's, this happened on March 9th. They were releasing this film, the message, and these people took 149 hostages, these quote unquote Islamic terrorists to keep this film from coming out. And that was one of their demands, one of their biggest demands. And cause they, you know, supposedly thought it was going to picture Muhammad, which it doesn't, which is really weird. Uh, how you have this birth of Islam movie without Muhammad. But anyways, so the siege takes place from the 9th to the 11th of March of, the, of that year. And uh, so, so I'm looking at it. Days. I'm like, okay, so this is, oh, this is after the fact. So I'm tripping out over freaking Abba and, and how, how Craig doing this Waterloo thing. Waterloo, Waterloo. Okay. And uh, what actually happens there. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, this is weird. What happens if I play the Abba album that came out right around the same time as The Message? And it turns out if you start it the second that the film begins on the second, it'll end the second that the film ends after four rounds to, to the fucking second. Wow. And so I'm like, I haven't tried the album with anything else. I didn't try to film with anything else. I did this strictly for symbolic purposes. And I'm like, what the hell? And like, and the things that it communicates are, are, are pretty pronounced. So it's, you know, uh, especially with what's happening with Sweden right now. And so that would, that, that gets really interesting. But anyway, so the point is, is I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, well that's the ninth. And then I'm like, I'm looking at this guy's other films. He hasn't produced, he hasn't written that many films, but one of the other films that he did was released on the 11th of that same month. And it's called airport 77. So yeah, this took place in 1977. And so, so 70 in 77, you have the 9th of March and the 11th of March 
being, uh, you know, this, how the length of this hostage situation. And then it turns out that those two dates are, are bookended as two release dates for a film about the birth of Islam and a film about a plane hijacking by terrorists. Well, and 9-11. That's what I'm fucking saying, dude. I'm like, what? And so, and then I'm already, I'm like, is this how Craig guy freaking Stanley Kubrick? Not to say that he is Stanley Kubrick, but like, it seems as though the, that Kubrick's uh, Napoleon script is this film Waterloo. And so, you know, whether he just used his, you know, this guy as a, as a cover or whatever, I don't know. Uh, but I also find it really weird that the message and uh, the um, Airport 77 are like, you know, dramatically different films are written in entirely different ways. You wouldn't assume these have the same writers, you know. Um, and so I'm looking into this, right? I'm going super deep and I keep looking at this guy, how, how Craig's page over and over again on Wikipedia and it disappears completely. <laughs> you can, and so, so, so he no longer has a Wikipedia page. No way. Uh, way. Uh, and then not only that, but on those other films like airport 77 and the message and stuff, I know for a fact that there were sections in those pages that are no longer there that disappeared the same time that his, um, his whole page disappeared. Holy fuck. Right. So there's, I mean, and so, yes. But there's a lot of implications there. It seems like, like, there's no way that could be by design. I don't know. I don't know. It's I like wouldn't... if you look at Scott Onstott's work. You know, I don't know if you're familiar. Secrets in Plain Sight. You know, he's a friend of mine. He produced this amazing web series, and it's like he'll be going along. He's measuring across the planet and finding these like extremely profound correspondences. Uh, but then it'll start to get into the point where he's like measuring the continents themselves, you know, exactly. And it's like, and what shows up is just like mind blowing. It's like, okay, well, wait a minute. We didn't plan that. Who can you like, that's the thing I can tell you Stanley Kubrick died 666 days in both directions like that. And it's like, that's freaking so on point and crazy and over the top. But it's like, did he plan that? I don't know, but I'll tell you something that I do think is planned. And uh, this is really, this is related, relating back to the golden bow thing is Bohemian Grove. So the, the infiltration of Bohemian Grove by Alex Jones, that was not Alex Jones's project. It was Ron Alex Johnson, Jones, wasn't it? You know it. Yeah, that's right. And so Ron Johnson, at the time that he did that, he was the only man in the world with complete access to all of Stanley Kubrick's archives. This is demonstrated, as a matter of fact, by the documentary Kubrick's Boxes. And so Stanley Kubrick died, uh, you know, in 1999. And the last request of his life, was, as far as films go, was the release date of Eyes Wide Shut. I found that in interviews from people where they say he was specific about this day. So I'm looking into, well, what about this day? So I don't see anything significant that year. But I'm like, a year to the day was the cremation of care that was caught on camera. How is it that the film that has like the closest depiction of elite ritual parties filmed at the Rothschilds mansion came out a, a year to the day of the filming of Bohemian Grove and that the man <laughs> who was in charge of the project was the only man in the world with complete access to oh, all of Kubrick's archives. Holy fuck. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> and he, and, and, so and the way is, he plays that down right now, too, makes sense. Like, that, that oh, sort of fits dude. the whole thing. Because I heard him talking about it recently as well, and he just doesn't give Alex and that whole experience enough credit, I don't think. Oh, dude. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's so in a, in a sense, if you if you entertain that idea, you could say that Stanley Kubrick exactly. got Trump elected because all the people that were into the whole conspiracy shit 
who trusted Alex Jones because he hated George Bush and he hated Obama and he hates all these people, he's made an exception for Trump. And so, you know, all these people were like, oh, well, shit, if Alex is about him, you know, then he's got to be a genuine variable. And he is a genuine variable in a sense. As far as I can tell, what Trump is, is he is like a, a direct reflect. So this is OK. I have to back up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Context. I know. No, I know. I'm jumping the gun. But I'll tell you some shit. OK. So Stanley Kubrick was obsessed with the Golden Bow. He has said this himself. People have said this in interviews about him. So he, so Stanley Kubrick sent the head of Warner Brothers in the 1970s an unabridged set of The Golden Bow, and he bugged him every week for a year about reading it. And the guy, the head of Warner Brothers, eventually said to Stanley, look, I don't have time for mythology. To which Kubrick replied, this isn't mythology, this is your life. Wow. The whole, the whole point of The Golden Bow is, is the outsider who pulls this branch from a sacred tree at a lake called Nemi. It's Diana's mirror, right? It's what Princess Di's named after, right? So, so, so the outsider pulls this branch, which is, which is symbolic of two things. It's symbolic of the king's phallus, which is the strength of the kingdom, right? And it's symbolic of the king's daughter. And so he's challenging the king. So they would do it different ways. Sometimes it would be a, uh, an actual fight. So like if he, you know, it's a, he has to take out the king, he has to prove himself. But sometimes it'd be almost more like ritualistic where the king would commit suicide. So that's where the symbolism of the suicide king comes from. That's the origin, you know, the, uh, the origin of that whole thing. And it's, it's a willing sacrifice to rejuvenate the kingdom, to allow some new fresh blood to come in. And he had to be of the lower classes because he would turn everything on his head. He'd basically make the last the outsider, right? Right. And so what you're looking at when you're looking at Bohemian Grove, as far as I can tell, is a exact uh, reproduction of the Golden Bough ritual at the Lake of Nemi, uh, except except instead of them doing the way that they used to do it, they're they're celebrating that they're putting it off. So they say Midsummer sets us free and they burn the effigy. As far as I can tell, the effigy that they're burning, considering what they say, fools, fools, is supposed to be the fool outsider who would challenge the king. Wow. And so they're, they're like basically celebrating, yeah, fuck you, we're keeping it in the family. And so what you what you have then is this, it, it's because the, the two orders of the Sphero. So that relates to the 216, 666 order left brain deal where they're like, we can we can hold this empire together the way that we that we want to. Right. But the thing is, like the, the old ritual was was its purpose was to align with natural processes of the seasons, a recognition of 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 cycles. So they need to allow this thing to take place in order to allow the thing to keep going. And so, you know, this is what befalls empires when they refuse to allow this thing to happen and they get greedy. And so as far as I can tell, what Trump is, is, is he is that outsider. He is that archetype, but he's like a twisted version of it. He's like a mutated version of it because they put it off for so long that this is the way that it manifests. What year was and that? So, uh, the Bo Bohemian Grove? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that 2000, was, uh, mid, mid 2000s. Yeah, that was 2000. Yeah. Uh, midsummer. Yeah. Oh, 2000 itself. Well, and, I can tell you the date. If I look up the release no, date of eyes wide shut. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I just wasn't sure of how long, I feel like it was like, uh, I don't know how long ago it was. It feels yes. like it was one of those things. Let's I can't test tell. the AI. So, Hey Siri, what was the release date of eyes wide shut? Eyes wide shut was released the 9th of September, 1999. Oh yeah. Yeah. That should, that should, yeah. Right. Me, That's almost exactly, uh, what is the September, what, six right now? Damn. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and Lake Nemi, is that the one we did the episode on, Darren? Is that, that the lake in Italy? if it was Italy? randomly the day? 
I would have. Did you really do a episode on Lake Nemi? I think July sixteenth, nineteen ninety nine, is what IMDb says. Oh, okay. And that's that is it. Series suck. Series wrong again. Turns out again. (laughs) (laughs) So so uh, Lake Nemi, Darren, isn't that the one we did the episode in Italy with that guy? It was really interesting. That old lake in uh, that does sound in Italy with the boats and the the uh, yeah. Hmm. How do you spell that? N E M I, I think. Yeah, yeah. N E M I, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I you know recommend the Golden Bow to anybody to, to check out. But it also, if you look at the commentary yeah. on the full and Cro- okay. Crowley's, uh, let's see uh, if there's a crazy implication to this number. Okay. Our episode on Italian Straga, Lake Nemi, and Giants came out was episode one eighty four, and it came out on August twenty six, two thousand sixteen. <laughs> nothing. Pretty close. Nothing. 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 It's like the lottery, but we nothing guess. close. Yeah. Right, right, right. It dun, doesn't. Dun, it must have been said. Well, that's the thing, you know. I, but, but you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll look at at films that like come out really close to each other. So, like, even though, like, you know, two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, and Rosemary's Baby, they're the they're uh, the exact same length, uh, the two films. But there's uh, something crazy about. Uh, if you uh, if you you have to start it at the if you start at the dawn of man in two thousand one. So if you start Rosemary's Baby as the dawn of man, they'll be the exact same length. They'll end at the same time. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's a thing where one is representing the the sustaining order. You have uh, the Antichrist in Rosemary's Baby, and then you have the Messiah in two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. If you take the screen titles of two thousand one: A Space Odyssey, uh, the dawn of man, uh, Jupiter mission eighteen months later, and Jupiter beyond the infinite, and you work out the English gematria of that, uh, it'll total seven seven seven. And and as you go through the film, you're literally the correspondences to the spherot of the tree of life in order are what you're moving through. So when you get to Jupiter and beyond the infinite. That's uh, that's da'at. So you have knowledge, right? So that's what separates the supernal from the terrestrial, and that's why at the end the star child returns to Earth is because he's, it's it's the roots or its branches in the Kabbalistic tree. So there there's this whole thing going going on there. They're they're communicating the two orders of the sphero, and so you have you know in a sense best case scenario, in a sense worst case scenario, you know. So and also Rosemary's baby. Yeah, Rosemary's Baby is also referencing um, Roe versus Wade, it seems. And you look at the timing in which it came out and that they call Rosemary Roe, you know, and you, so you have this whole weird idea where it's like, okay, so we're giving birth to the next species, but is it going to be fucking aborted or something? <laughs> it gets really, really heavy. Because that's what Polanski did, you know. He he makes the, the, the heaviest tragedies imaginable because his life is a fucking insane tragedy. He survived the Holocaust and then his wife was, you know, murdered and uh, then he, uh, you know, got himself into a whole heap of trouble that is extremely common in Hollywood. It was Jack Nicholson was a regular with the uh, prostitution ring and he hooked him up. It was at Jack's house, you know, and it's like, but it, it's, yeah, the whole thing is just, it's, it's so weird because it's, it's a scapegoat phenomenon, right? But it's like, that's the thing. It's like the old scapegoat was, was always guilty. The Christianity is the, is supposed to be the innocent scapegoat. And so now everyone's coming together to fucking sacrifice the, you know, what they, what they see as the epitome of the problem, you know? And it's, uh, it's very poignant symbolically yeah. to, to say, to say the least, especially, I mean, what's happening. Cause you, you know, if you look at Crowley's Saudi is not the star issue, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's like, uh, that was the basis for my film. Cause I'm looking at, uh, if you if you arrange the 22 arcana, the uh, corresponding to the 22 Hebrew letters, the trump cards in tarot into a vesica Pisces, 
We have uh-huh. 11 and 11, right? Uh-huh. Uh, it'll If you do it normally, it'll be flanked by Aleph and Lamed. So that's L, as in the abbreviation of Elohim. Mm-hmm. So you have the name of God encoded into the 22 letters. If you do what Crowley suggested to do uh, with his version of the deck, you have Saudi is not the star. So he did the switch. But then if you move all the cards over in relationship to the, what he presents, uh, you end up with another type of symmetry. And so it doesn't have the same perfection as the initial, but it's like imitating it. So you have Raish on one side and then you have uh, Tet on the other. And so Raish is the sun. Tet is lust or strength or Oz, right? And so you have, uh, and that's corresponding to Leo. So you have the sun and Leo. Leo rules, I mean, the sun rules Leo. So, and then you have the Babylonian sun square and he probably call himself 666 and all of this stuff and it's relating to Gavora. And so, yeah, that gets really interesting because it's like what happens when you do that twist too um, is you can see that because the emperor is, is being moved from the empress, so he's separating the two lovers of so the empress and the emperor. So she would normally, they would normally be looking at each other. And this relates to in the Zohar, the whole thing around uh, Saudi is supposed to be two, two faces. So they're either facing each other or they're facing away. And so when she, now she's replaced by the star card and the star card, the character in Crowley's star card is looking away from her. So she's going to look at her lover and then she's getting basically Lilith and Lilith is turned away. And that would be her bridge to the Hierophant because the hay, which would correspond to the emperor, uh, means window. So he's like her window into the, the higher knowledge through the, to the Hierophant. But now it's, it's blocked by, uh, by the star. And so, but the thing that ha- the significant point is that when you do that switch that Crowley has, you have the emperor right next to the tower. And so uh, the emperor now being equated with Saudi rather than hay means fish hook. So, and then, and then the tower pay is a mouth. So you have a fish hook next to a mouth. And it just so happens that the emperor is Aries while the tower is Mars. Mars rules Aries. So you have the correspondences flanking it being in alignment, being in sync, but then you have that also being in sync. But the thing is, is that that's, that sync is forced. So you know, like, it's just like the septogram, you know, the seven-pointed star. You don't have the equilibrium that you'd have with a hexagram. Like, there's that whole thing with that with the hexagram. If you have uh, the uh, I Ching, right, it's made of 64 hexagrams. So it's showing you every possible combination within a single um, six-figure set, what happens if you basically squeeze six straight lines and six broken lines into a single figure. And so it's showing you every every way that that can play out. That's what the I Ching is. So it's, you know, what is the, the probability? But uh, it's a it's a principle of, that's a communicating what happens when you introduce a distortion into perfect balance. Because the thing about a hexagram is that every, every vector within the figure is the exact same length. So they'll have this law of compensation operate. So if you introduce distortion into any one place, it'll react from all sides. So you can predict in a way the way, the way that things will play out. And so this is the reason why people equate it so much with like fortune telling. But it's really misleading the way that that's been popularized because that's not necessarily what it's saying. And then tarot directly comes from that and is relating itself to the to the Kabbalistic tree, which itself is a set of vectors. But in this case, it's two hexagrams that are pulled apart. So you're basically looking at the equivalent of the dynamics of cell division. So if you're looking at the, the one becomes two. And so this is a separation of, so in Hebrew you say to create is the same word to, um, you know, uh, to divide. So something stands out in space, it has to divide in order to do so because it's all relative, right? And so, uh, but yeah, no, this is, um, this is the thing about a septogram is that it's a, it's, it's only a relative balance. So it can maintain itself for so long. So that's why it became a symbol for Babel. Uh, for, from uh, the OTO is because they're, they can, they're looking at this 
you know, and they're saying, well, this is a really um, descriptive way of what we're of what we're dealing with here. And so, but uh, yeah, no, this is just the point is that there's these two orders, and one is the foundation for the other. So, so the the two sixteen order the through the the twelve diagonal. See, this is ah, this is a thing. It's last time I was on the show, I didn't finish one thought. I, I listened to I re-listened to one part of it, and I was like, oh shoot, I can't believe I didn't say that. Okay. I'll tell you the the meaning of the Masonic G if you want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. So like, uh, this is pretty indisputable and it's fucking mind blowing. And I got it from the prophecy in Zohar. So it's said to do this thing. And it's like, if you want to understand this point about Gavora and this pathway of, of what we now say strength or Oz, right. That connects the two pillars. Look, uh, uh, look, look to what happens when you add up the 12 diagonal pathways of the Kalosic tree mathematically. And so I'm looking at the gematria of the 12 diagonals and I don't use the RE system. I use the golden dawn system. And even though this text that I'm looking at is commentary from the 16th century, I was curious of what would happen with the current model, right? So the attribution of the letters in relationship to the pathways. And so I add them up and I get 865. 865 is nothing significant. But then it's really obvious when you're looking at it what to do next. Because the line of Gimel, which is G, that connects Keter to Teferet, which connects the crown to the center of the tree, right? The supernal to the terrestrial, it's a vertical line. Mm -hmm. If you add that, that's three, it equals 868. 868 pretty much only equals one thing in Hebrew. Well, everything that it equals is profound, but uh, it only equals three things, I think. Um, I thought it only equaled one in the first source that I looked at, but since then I found a couple others, but they're equally, well, not equally, but they're also profound. But the point is, uh, 868 is the gematrical value of the 22 mystical pathways, the word for the pathways from the first line of the Sefer Yitzhara. Wow. And, and so uh, the probability for that, I don't know. It would That would have to be in the millions, at least. I don't even, I can't even fathom it. Um, so it tells me to do this thing. And when I do the thing, I see what to do next. And I know that anybody who would be working it out, who knows a little bit about the Kabbalistic tree would see where, where, how to follow that because you're like okay well you got 12 and then you got one who's 12 plus one i'm like this is ancient this ultimately comes from from uh egypt i mean it could come from elsewhere before that uh that'll upset certain jews but that's okay you know um it doesn't mean necessarily that it's egyptian just like you couldn't say that the the hexagram is like a jewish symbol and then you if someone wants to say oh well it was in india long before it was a jewish symbol you could you couldn't say that it's an indian symbol it's not it doesn't belong to any group it's a it's an archetypal symbol and so the kabbalistic tree is the same way and i think that that's that becomes problematic when people are dealing uh, with symbolism, I'm I'm finding it amazing that you know some of the most symbol illiterate people are the people that get the most hung up on symbols. <laughs> Tear down the statues, fucking a. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyways, no, it's just it's so this point is is that when you're looking at that, you're saying that the twelve diagonals. If you know your Kabbalah, that's how the Klippo rule the uh, the terrestrial realm. That's the builders, right? That's how the builders work. What they're working with. And so you have this verse, you know, the stone that the builders rejected will be the keystone of the temple. And so that's relating to Shakina, the sacred feminine. So saying the sacred feminine has been pushed to the bottom of the tree as Malkut. And then that that suppression, that repression becomes the basis for which the empire is able to structure itself. And so then the strength of the kingdom, you know, is that's why it's represented in tarot as the, the, the maiden with holding the mouth of the lion. Right. So it becomes a question of what is strength? And so what Zohar is emphasizing, and this is a lot of what people think it, it, like the Zohar is, uh, you know, all about secrecy. It's not. It's very rare you see a, a reference to secrecy. All you see is mystery. And so, the, you know, it's an open secret. 
And so that changed with the European occultism and that changed over time. So even for Jews, that, ch that changed. And that's why I say Darren Aronofsky's film Pi was kind of an, an attack on things because he's saying, look, you're, you're looking for a 216 number. You're looking for the name, but you already have the name. You know the name. The name is, is 22, 22 letters long. It's the language itself arranged straightforward. There's nothing else to do. So that's the thing. You know, uh, if you if you twist it or manipulate it anyway, then you end up with, a, you know, a, some version of Babel. So you, and the problem with that is that you know that it's, Certain people are going to end up on top and certain, you know, the energy distribution is, right. is funneled in particular ways. And so it's a manipulative thing. So, so they're saying you're going to have to deal with the karma of that if you go and you do that, for lack of a better word. Yeah. So. So speaking of that, the twisted uh, outsider Trump. So this is like after in 2000 when they had that uh, Bohemian Grove and said, fuck you to the outsider and they're going to wait. And then this came along 16 years later. Right. Um, you, I kind of cut you off when you were in the midst of finishing that thought about. Um... No, the only the only thing that I would say is that the the main point of that, if you're looking at that and you know your stuff and you see that eight six eight thing with with Gimel, is that because that belongs to another dimension than the than the diagonals, because that's a vertical, that's a direct connection between the mind of God and the mind of humanity. And it negates the whole system. It's, it's demonstrating where the true power lies. And so just so you know, when you're and you can, you know, verify this yourself, but it's the implications of the thing. It's like it's hard to relay irony, right? Like I can <laughs> I can say something's ironic, but if somebody doesn't see the irony, it's kind of like, OK. But anyways, so the whole thing is, is that where is that, you know, that they, they're not in control. Their own Masonic G implies that they aren't in control. The square in the compass represents the three, the supernal triad, uh, Keter, uh, Chochmah and Bina. And below, you have Teferet, you know, Kavora and Chesed. And so that's what makes up the square and the compass. And then what connects them is this, this vertical dimension. And it, it, that belongs to a different order. It's, it's the medial brain is literally what they say in Zohar. That's the direct translation when they're relating to, uh, to Keter, you know. So you have uh, this, this uh, transcendent thing in the midst. And uh, in tarot, the, the G would be equated with the high priestess, right? That's why she has Yaakin and Boaz. Uh, on both sides of her, you know, um, and traditionally in the in the, in the rider deck, right? Hmm. So and she's holding the Torah, you know. So that, but that's that's the point of that, and that's why she has the the sea behind her. That's the sea of Bina. Uh, this is consciousness. Consciousness becomes rivers. It starts out vast, and then it gets confined. And so they're saying this could just flood, you know. But because of our orientation, because of our compulsions, the emanated flow is restrained. And so, and then, then you have to have a breakdown in order to, you know, um, set that free. <laughs> yeah. Well, that seems like it's coming. So what about, what about, uh, back to that Waterloo movie? So can you, can you mention a few more interesting tidbits about ABBA and, and the album and, and that movie? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's basically, as far as I can tell, the whole thing is like this crazy massive joke. So like, uh, <laughs> so if you've ever seen Dr. Strangelove, you know, that, that was is there a new Doctor? Oh no, you're thinking of Doctor Strange. I'm talking about Kubrick's uh, Doctor Strange oh, right, released right. on the day and year Kennedy was killed and then had to be <laughs> uh, canceled. Uh, uh, interesting. That was the same day that uh, the Beatles uh, produced uh, uh, with the Beatles. They have Meet the Beatles was the American version. With the Beatles was the was the UK version. So day and year that Kennedy was killed, they released on the fifth year anniversary. They released the White Album. But any anyways. Uh, uh, point. <laughs> I got tangents. Uh, the um, the Waterloo thing. When you're looking, when you're looking at Doctor Strangelove, it's one of the few times that Kubrick has outright admitted a subtext. 
he was receiving letter a letter from a guy who was basically suggesting that all of Doctor Strange Love was a sexual metaphor. It's about sexual frustration and psychology. Uh, so you're looking at the uh, at Russia and America as though that they were individuals uh, uh, that are experiencing sexual frustration. And so that's the whole thing with the bodily fluids. You know, they're trying to take our precious bodily fluids or whatever. And that the the uh, nuclear holocaust at the end of the film when the guy rides the bomb that that's supposed to be orgasm. So it's like you're putting it off and putting it off. And it, but the the thing is is that it, the this is pretty trippy, but in Zohar, they have this whole thing with the Klepot mirror tetragrammaton. So everything's in reverse. So anything that would be creative is then replicated destructively. So even like you look at um, uh, Full Metal Jacket, you know, when it says, this is my rifle, this is my gun, this one's for shooting, this one's for fun, you know, and they're grabbing the crotch or whatever while they're holding their gun because this is becomes their their phallus is something that's destructive now. So every, that's the principle of sublimation is that everything goes in reverse. So like Freud took his stuff from Zohar, no freaking question as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Uh, as far as I can tell, one of, one of his big uh, frustrations with Jung was Jung wasn't Jewish. And he's not, I mean, he's in Vienna in the time that he's there. But if they were to just say where they were getting, what they were getting in the, in the psychoanalytic society, they would have been shut down. There's no way they would have been allowed to continue to exist if they said this is Jewish mysticism. My God. <laughs> and so they, they basically had to navigate that as best they could. And so uh, that's why, like, Freud is telling Jung to shut the hell up when he's saying, oh, I got this from such and such place. But Jung doesn't have as much to worry about because he's not in the same position as Freud. If you get, you know, what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. And so, um, but that's the, uh, that's the thing is that you, you see in, in Waterloo is it's all like, you can see it anyway, like it's the way that the thing is written, but it becomes so much more pronounced with ABBA as weird as it sounds. It's like, it's a real thing where like, basically like the song Waterloo is totally from the perspective of Josephine. So, so Josephine, uh, you know, with Napoleon, he's off at war, he's doing his thing and she has, she has to surrender to the situation. But there's like this, there's this whole, like, um, uh, what would you call it? Um, it's like, there's a whole homoerotic thing going on with the film Napoleon. And then it's just played into with Abba in this really extreme way, but it becomes this whole statement about the nature of war and the principle of sublimation that basically war is super gay. Because <laughs> God, wow. people trying to prove themselves in all these ways. So it's like, I mean, I, I've seen that firsthand, like driving a taxi cab. So like, I've like gone, I like pick uh, like bros up, and they're all talking about all the pussy they're gonna get on the way to the to the place, you know. So I'm like driving them to a bar or whatever. Like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, and it's okay, cool, whatever, dude, you know. And then like, it'll be like those same people at the end of the night are the people that get in fights. Because if they're not getting it this way, then they feel the need to prove themselves. And so, like, you know, this whole thing of, like, sexual frustration. And so that's, like, that's what Dr. Strangelove is about, overtly and admittedly. And as far as I can tell, that's what he did with, with, with Waterloo. So, and then Abba responded while, like, by emphasizing the point that much further. And so, you know, I don't want to, like, tell people that because I want them to realize it for themselves because the people that have and then get back to me, it fucking cracks me up. And I'm then, like, ah, you got it. You see it. And it's totally you're, there. And but, then you know. you're connecting that to, like, current day in Sweden as well then? Or, well, or some sort of, like... Well, I think what's happening in Sweden was, is really interesting because, you know... Um, I t was told all these things before I was left about the no-go zones and all this stuff and the, the tension, the racial tension, all this stuff. I didn't see any of that. I saw some some economic 
pension. And what I found out in Stockholm was that from all these people, I've talked to, you know, a thousand people about this stuff. And they were just like, you know, it's mostly the people from the countryside who are really having an issue with, with the uh, immigrants, you know? So all these refugees in Sweden just opened their doors more than almost anywhere in the world, you know, and it was just like, you know, and they're not really seeing as much like the way that that's being portrayed is like so propaganda based. That is not the reality of what I came across in Sweden. And the, the tension is not, I saw way more tension with the Finnish people than I did Muslims. Cause someone took out a knife at one point and swinging at this guy and he like almost hit me. Like they're running. And like, it was like in the middle of his courtyard in Stockholm and scared the hell out of Finnish me. Guy? And then two Finnish guys wow. at each other with, with, uh, with, with swords, knives. basically, Jesus. they weren't just knives. They were like real swords. Like they were like, <laughs> they, they looked homemade, but they were impressive. I was like, you damn. Call, and like, you call you know, this a knife? I call this a knife. <laughs> yeah, it's a little crocodile. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, no, it was just, it was, it, that was the most intense thing that happened. And I didn't see much frustration from me, but I didn't hear it voiced. I didn't, and it didn't seem like it was just being repressed. It was just like, no, people were very, very expressive about what they thought about what was going on. And um, I find it really interesting because I think it's true in this country, too, is that a lot of the people who are the most concerned about the refugees are generally people who, who aren't dealing with refugees straight on. So it's like, you know, we got one percent of our country is Muslim. Of that one percent, that makes up 10 percent of our doctors. Like there's some really skewed perceptions. And I'm not I'm not saying that it's like absolute in any one direction. I'm not saying that there's not things that are problematic. I would like to see things done in the right way. I think Sweden could have done things a, a bit differently, but I, I do think that uh, that they're kind of they've kind of taken a stand in terms of uh, of, you know, how uh, co compassion, you know, and uh, I think if you just respond to something that's because it's got futility involved, especially when you're partially responsible, your country is responsible. I think it's it's I don't think it's right to just be like, oh, well, fuck them. You know, I don't, you know, what, how did we get here? You know, I'm sorry, but we're well, all think, refugees. I think social media and, and the media itself and even alternative media just, it just really shows a picture that's not really happening in day to day life for the most part. I mean, you know, we go around um, day to day and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know it's probably like that in the States as well. I think it's really just fear mongering and it's just exaggerating this, this perception that's not really there. Or it's like just even talking about the, the racism in the States. Like, I don't think there's that much, of course there's some, but there's not that much racism going on compared to what you would think from the media and the social yeah, media. It's well, just blowing it out of proportion. What the basis for it is too, you know, it's like people, um, it's economics plays into it pretty, pretty heavy. And that's usually unconscious, you know, and that's a way to get people to, you know, react against people in the way that, you know, people who stand to profit, you know, yeah. stand to profit. So it's yeah. like, you know, that's the old principle divide, divide and conquer, you know, yeah, totally. um, so, you know, but I don't want to speak about these things in absolute terms. I'm making generalizations, you know, because yeah. I think that that can be a, a bit misleading, you know. Um, and that's been a real problem. That's part of the divisiveness of what we've seen through this whole, you know, the the campaign process. I mean, every time we come around, this is just that much more emphasized, you know, this whole disjoint that exists between like, you know, our side and the other side. And it's like, dude, you, you're guys are exuding the same dynamics in certain ways. And yeah, it's like yeah, the yeah. whole backdoor phenomenon from all sides is so apparent. So it's like, but for me, I look at all of that as, as messed up as it is, is because of my studies, I see it as a very positive thing. It's a, it's a breakdown of the cognitive dissonance that has to do with our relationship to polarity. Yes, so we're projecting that, yeah. a duality on top of the polarity. So the Kabbalistic tree is communicating this, this polarity in the formative order of the sphero. And, but the, the sustaining order of the empire projects a duality 
from the left onto the right in order to to build what we're building in the way that we're building it. And so, you know, that's why Zohar is extremely positive. Like, it's not like just a fire and brimstone thing because you're like, well, what's on the other side of this? And, they, you know, the, all, the only indicator is that the two the two hemispheres become united and that the, the left doesn't understand it. It can't it can't recognize what it means because basically its own foundation is the is where the true power lies. Yeah, yeah. The true power is actually beyond both, but just in the relativity, because it's basically the, the Kabbalistic tree is describing the spiral. So it goes from right to left. And so it, when it curls around, the left is replicating the right. So our left brain is a replication of our right brain. Uh, this was communicated by um, uh, who was it? Brian Eno at one point. I included that in my, in my film, uh, the Sorry Cassandra film, where he's, he's basically saying that, you know, you got, uh, if you have like a Jackson Pollock painting and you're looking at that Jackson Pollock painting, the splatter art, you know, and then somebody was to put another the same Jackson Pollock painting right next to it, you know, and you, you couldn't, whereas the first one, you could see the freedom in it to look at the second one, to see the, the exactitude and the meticulousness of what would have to be involved to be able to reproduce this thing. And the whole, whole thing is that it will, it will get close. It couldn't, can get close, but it'll never be what the original was. Mm. So the idea of replication. And so like, that's what is happening. Like, so like, it sounds weird or whatever. And I'm sure people listening are going to be like, whatever, dude. But like the whole Paul is dead thing. I got friends. I've met people online that have been into that since the sixties, right? The older people. And uh, what I found really interesting is that the consensus amongst those serious researchers into the Paul is dead thing. None of them think, well, some of them do, but most of them don't think that Paul actually died. What they think is that Paul had a replicant. So some, somebody basically received amazing plastic surgery because uh, the, the times when they believe it's another Paul, there's indications and there's, those indications stay consistent. And they're only for particular lengths of time after mm -hmm. Paul disappeared in his return. And then it just it kind of settles and then it doesn't keep happening so much. And so they're like, you know, they're looking at the, the distinctions in the facial structure and the voice and all kinds of stuff. And they're like, well, these changes are consistent. Like it'd be one thing if it was lighting and you're like, oh, well, this, that day or whatever. But it's like, no, no, no. These are specific changes that keep going. And so, you know, and then you have Linda McCartney being interviewed where she's saying, oh, this is something so terrible. And they're like, you're talking about an affair or something? And she's like, no, worse, much worse. But she won't say what it is. And she never did. You know, and she's like crying about it. And you're like, what the fuck is she talking about? But, uh, you know, but anyway, so, but that's the thing is that like I, oh, I relate to that. And I'm like that idea of the of the perfect replicant. I think is the ultimate way to like fuck with people and what they're what they're if you know the mysteries and what they're about like what the the uh, mystery schools have been communicating around the principle of Yakin and Boaz you know because it's a big joke because you say Yakin and Boaz you say established in strength right established in is the right pillar strength is the left or yeah so it's established in implies this is where the strength is established. So it's like, how can the left be strength if you just looked at the other side and saw established in? You see what I'm saying? It's yeah. a paradox. So it's we, like, where is the strength then? So that becomes a question for us. So we have our whole, so like, if you watch the whole uh, trilogy of Back to the Future and it ends with Marty turning the truck around, you know, where he keeps being called chicken. And so it's like flea or whatever from Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> yes, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember what his name is. I oh. know that, but. Right, right. Well, there's there's Biff, but then there's oh, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the young Biff. I I should know this, but oh, yeah. Biff was so, kind uh, of Needles. Buff. 
it's needles. It's that guy needles. I mean, they're going to, they're going to, um, drag race, right. They want to race them on the road. And he, he's getting ready. He's like revving up his engine, but then he flips it and he's with his girlfriend. Right. And he turns around and he's like, I'm not crazy or whatever. And it shows that he would have died if he would have continued because his car came out or whatever. But it's that, that flipping, that's the, the whole thing because it becomes a question of what is strength because people keep calling him chicken and he keeps having to prove himself. What happens in back to the future and the, the moral of the whole series is basically the moral of what Israel is going to deal with and has been, you know, what it doesn't want to face around oh. what it, what it, what constitutes real strength, you know? Oh. Um, and so there's this whole thing in, in the Zohar where it's saying, you know, in relationship to this prophecy that Israel will act mightily, there's two sections to the text. The first section, though, obviously Israel is a nation until 1947, oddly reads a lot like propaganda because it doesn't come across the same way as the second section. Like, it's just like, you know, seems to be speaking really highly of, of Israel. But the second section, which is much longer, much, much longer and much more involved, uh, does not speak highly of Israel. It has Israel is going to be worshiping another name. And here's the dynamics of that name. And this is all about greed and our compulsions and all this stuff. And oh. it's like, whoa, dude, this is not. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the kicker. And so what I what I wonder is I'm looking at, like, are, are people being given like the first section of this text in certain secret, not so secret schools? Like, are they? being shared this, but they're not being shown that. And then they're not being shown the commentary that explains it further and stuff. And that some people are, and like, I don't, I don't know. Cause it's like, if I was to take the one just on its own terms, even with the commentary, I wouldn't be saying a lot of the stuff that I'm saying here now. Cause it was, it wasn't until looking at the other section that yeah. followed that I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. Cause it's a whole different part of the book. You can go that enti your entire life studying the Zohar and never stumble on this. Cause it's just such an enormous book, you know, requires years and years and years and years and years and years of study, you know? So I, I got um, a funny question for you here. So look, after looking at all these movies going back quite a ways and, and matching them to albums and all this kind of stuff and looking through the symbolism and, and now lately, I don't know how long it's been going on, but over the last, like, let's just guess and say five to 10 years or whatever, where Hollywood scripts are being um, written by other organizations or, or amended by other organizations. Like you have the Lear Foundation who have, sure, sure. who have, you know, like put social justice warrior stuff or social engineering into these scripts, like, you know, fun. And who knows who the Lear Foundation is funded by. And then you've got the DOD and uh, CIA involved in scripts. I mean, is is that changed? Like, has anything shifted back from like, I almost feel like there's been a shift and original stuff would have synchronized better, but this stuff is almost like fake. It's kind of fakery in a way. Like it's not quite true art. Well, there's something else going on and the, the, the things have changed over time. So like I have this whole, my extrapolation is that this actually all started with the Beatles revolver. So Beatles Revolver and Bluebird from 1918 are like a perfect match. And so uh, I don't know if you know about Bluebird. No, but Bluebird, no, I, really, think it's, no. I think it's originally a Russian story, but either whatever the case, America and Russia went back and forth doing their own versions of Bluebird. So you have the Bluebird of happiness, right? And it's a question about what what is happiness. And so you have communism, capitalism. And they go back and forth with their versions of Bluebird. Uh, even in uh, the 1970s, Jane Fonda was in a version of Bluebird that was filmed in Russia during the Cold War. And it, as far as I can tell, it wasn't even a movie that was like meant for distribution. It was just a movie that had to be made for symbolic purposes. Huh. But that seems to be where it started. And the second one that I can find, th th there could be earlier ones, I don't know, but that's the earliest I've ever found is Beatles Revolver and Bluebird. Uh, obviously an old movie. But uh, the album, you know, 1967, I think. Um, 
But uh, yeah, this or 66. Uh, but the, the second one is uh, the Rolling Stones, their Majesty's Satanic Request and the film Magical Mystery Tour. Now, the, the Magical Mystery Tour EP was released on uh, December 8th, uh, what, 19, 1967, uh, same day and year as their Majesty's Satanic Request, Rolling Stones. <laughs> and so uh, that's the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. That's the day John Lennon was killed. It's Jim Morrison's birthday. That's a whole it's nine months before 9-11. It's this whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, so you have the, the uh, Immaculate Conception, obviously, if you know, Rosemary's Baby, what are you watching? But a clephotic uh, communication of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, but, uh, you know, so you're, I'm looking at the at the timeline and the way that things evolved. And uh, the, the when I get to, through my sinks that are like the most solid where I'm just like, OK, give me a fucking break. How, I mean, I'm open to some really weird shit, but like for this to happen to this degree on its own in such, such a way. And then if you know backstories a little bit and you can see connections yeah. between the actual art of the film producers and the musicians like Holy Mountain Hollywood's like that. Marilyn Manson, I didn't know when I put those two together that Marilyn Manson was like, you know, uh, essentially a student of Alejandro Jodorowsky's his close friend. But, you know, Jodorowsky, the director, officiated his fucking wedding like I <laughs> put those together not even knowing no that way. and i'm just like oh okay give me a, give me a break the cloud atlas imagine dragons one is fucking off oh the yeah chart. that's the one i watched recently is that the one that one of the ones you linked to us that you sent to right. us right yeah and so the thing with that one and the thing with a lot of these that i'm uh, 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 that are more recent is that there's more of a consistency where you'll find the uh the film being released right around the same time as the album oh okay. and so like uh die antwoord's most recent album uh pairs with um suicide squad like nobody's fucking business but they came out super close to each other and so if uh, you know occam's razor my extrapolation is that oh these were these were produced together you know um i think you know people would have a conception of what what would it take what would be involved for something like that and because of the nature of things i think intention alone goes a long way and you can fine tune things to adjust things to make them fit just you know uh in uh and especially if you're editing a film and you're editing an album you can do some tricks you know uh to make things kick up a notch <laughs> make them really pop yeah and so um, I find that the ones where the albums came out really close to the films are generally the best. But there's like, you know, there's exceptional things like obviously The Wizard of Oz came out a long time before Dark Side of the Moon. You know, yeah. what would be involved for them to do that? You know, um, it becomes an interesting question, you know, uh, but I wouldn't put it past him because you look at what's going on all over the place. And that would really explain a lot of Crowley's stuff, too, because Crowley came up with the, the back masking thing. Floyd, Floyd, was in, Floyd, Floyd was into a lot of weird stuff back then, too. I mean, Floyd was kind of ahead of their time, oh, I, yeah, I yeah. think, for some of that psychedelic stuff. And the, they, were yeah. ta they were talking about some pretty shippy, trippy shit. I was hanging out with Andrea Galler, who was uh, one of Sid Barrett's pretty one oh. and only loves or whatever. Wow. And when I was in London recently, wow. and uh, she, she made a coat for me. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie With Nail and I. But uh, I had no. the original designer of the of the coat from Withnail and I wow. basically have a coat made for me on Savile Row. And so I got to go to her house and show her some of these things. I showed her Eyes Wide Shut and uh, Leonard Cohen's um, uh, You Want It Darker, which is pretty freaking phenomenal. So his last album, Leonard Cohen's last album, pairs with Eyes Wide Shut like nobody's fucking business. Wow. Anyways, I shared this with her and she really enjoyed it. And she was she was with. Um, oh, God, I hope I got it. Um, 
Aldridge, Alan Aldridge, is that it? Uh, the, it was m- the main um, flyer producer in London in the 1960s. So what Rick Griffin was for, um, you know, the West Coast and beyond yeah. America, um, Alan Aldridge was for um, for London. And that was her partner. And he she just left the funeral when I called her. And I didn't know who I was calling. I thought I was just calling somebody that did recreations of this code or whatever, you know. And uh, no, I went and I met with her. And then she, you know, we went out for coffee a couple times. And she invited me to her house and made me dinner. And I showed her my films. And it was just incredible. But she's, so the song Bike was written for her. So like, I got a bike. You can ride it if you like, you know. It's got that bells was, and things and yeah, things yeah, that make it look good. Well, that's another, that's the coat. But yeah, uh, <laughs> same song. Uh, but yeah, so basically she was following uh, him on a bike or whatever. And it was like, and he had like a motor on his and then she was like, Oh, can I have your bike? And he was like, I'd give it to you if I could, but I borrowed it. Like that actually happened. And it was like her. And then she like, got to hear the song after whatever. I, I to tell the story. I just sound like I'm, I'm bragging. Ooh, I know, you know, whatever, no, no, you know, no, but no, it's, it's pretty it, was just, it was a total fucking trip, man. You know? And so, and then I got some insight as to like, you know, from her perception of what happened with Sid and that it was a genuine accident. Yeah. Uh, it was an overdose and all this stuff, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, that was just something that was sitting on the table and he didn't know what he was doing. He, you know, took a shot glass of acid or whatever, and they didn't know what to do with him. And Jesus. he was never seen after that, you know? And so it was like, he thought he was literally taking a shot, I guess. My understanding is saying it was an accident. Wow. So and just so people know, Sid Barrett was like one of the originators in Pink Floyd, right? He was there before. He was the original lead singer of Pink Floyd. Yeah. yeah. Before Roger Waters. Yeah, even more than yeah. just singing. He was his conception, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's the thing is that he never really left the band. And like, there's something that plays into this about like, you know, uh, sacrifice. You know, it's like he, uh, the nature of things. There's more. There's the, well, the level that we're looking at isn't the primary level if you relate to things in terms of emanation. We're looking at the skin of the thing of the serpent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as though it were the body. And like the body moves forward beyond the skin. Like we watch the birth, growth, decay process, whatever. And we think we know what the fuck is going on, but there is a whole other dimension to the thing. And that's, and that, you know, that, that is, uh, you know, that's why I don't consider the Masonic G in and of itself fucking evil. I think it's a very deep, meaningful thing. And I don't, I don't, I think that's a, that's a misconception. There's probably Masons that relate to it on their own terms all over the place. I don't think most Masons know that eight, six, eight, uh, the Sefer Yatsura bit, like uh, with the 12 diagonals and all of that. But, you know, there's weird shit. You know, Ser- Sharon Tate's first movie was called, uh, had the alternative title of 13. So Eye of the Devil was also released as 13. Her last movie was called 12 plus one or wow. 13 chairs, alternatively 13 chairs. So, and then the, the first movie, Eye of the Devil, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It pairs with Abbey Road. Abbey, the photo for Abbey Road was taken within 24 hours of Sharon Tate's death. Jesus. So there's this, there's this whole thing going on. But like, you know, Eye of the Devil is like, it's a total Golden Bow movie. It's about the ritualistic killing of the king. Uh, that's what happens. But in her case, it's, it's demonstrating, because see that the Empress forms a cross with the high priestess in the Kabbalistic tree. And that's what connects the supernal to the terrestrial, is this cross. And uh, so the, that's what we're seeing communicated is that that's a female. The stone that the builders rejected in the New Testament, they equate that with Jesus or whatever, but that's a feminine thing that relates to the Shekinah. That means what is actually being sacrificed for the empire to ex- extend itself. And, and that's, that's, it's a principle, but yeah. Huh. So what, it was, so you went back to the beginning of that where you talked about Beatles revolver or whatever. And so, and then you talked right. about cloud Atlas, which was kind of one of the more recent ones, but have you seen a shift in the newer kind of 
kind of altered with uh, scripts and movies? Like, is it different? Yeah, now? they're working with the, they're working more with the ending of the movie. So if you're using an editing program, it becomes more obvious, like the ti- the timing thing, because it's not just if you find the pairing, because you can find that things will be resonant. And it used to be that I had to spend days and days and days and days trying to narrow down until it actually landed. And that makes you feel fucking crazy. Cause uh, there's a, the, you go through your own cognitive dissonance and I've talked to other people who've experienced the same. Cause if you're assuming in order to keep working like that, like if I'm playing fucking Lady Gaga's the fame monster with Metropolis, you know, the silent film from Germany from the twenties, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm listening to that album over and over and over again and looking to see, well, could this be better? Could this be better? Could this be better? Like that is such a um, insane thing to do. Because uh, it implies that you're assuming that this will actually land and it will actually do this thing. Now, if you're using an editing program, it really simplifies things. Uh, with the older synchronicities, there's you find the anchor points at the beginning. You know, uh, with these later ones, you can see where the what would be the last song. Uh, sometimes last song in the album, but whatever the case, you look at how it aligns to the end, how it'll end. You can you can preview that, and so you can see where it would happen to line at the beginning. So if you do it in reverse. Uh, that's a huge aid. But what's funny is that I've seen a, a consistent difference between the newer ones over the last, say, um, you know, 10 to 20 years and uh, the previous ones. These are more, fo- you, you generally can find a start an anchor point at the end easier than you can find it at the beginning, which didn't used to be true. It's kind of weird. So that's the thing. It's like experientially, it's a matter of syntax. Cause it's like, I can tell someone about this stuff and like, it's weird too. Cause like, I can't like advertise my own work. Cause everyone thinks their work is a shit, whatever it is that they do. They're like, Oh no, you know, it's like, <laughs> and I'm not necessarily, I haven't been the best at self promotion in general. So I'm just like, Oh no, this is fucking amazing. But everyone thinks whatever they do is amazing. But it's, it's true. Like I've gotten the feedback that it's like, not until you watch it, do you know what it is that I'm even talking about? Cause people will get an idea and they're like, Oh, I think I know, you know, no, it doesn't work that way. And so also these things have to be judged on, on a whole as well, you know? Uh, but as it stands, there's, there's over a hundred videos for download and streaming on that website. Um, that's the sync, like, that's syncbook.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, we, tra- we made it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's a, what, <laughs> what else, I've had some help. What else are you doing in the near future then? Uh, I have a, a trip planned, um, uh, for winter to go back to the ABBA museum and see if I can convince the coordinator who I've been in communication with, with email, I want to convince her to uh, basically approach the production company of uh, Waterloo, that's uh, <laughs> Columbia, to see if they can show. Because they have a theater in Stockholm at the ABBA Museum. And so, like, I don't need to be there for it, but I want that event to happen. And so so, so they, would show your, they would show it loop twice so over that movie? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, that would be... That's what I would it, like them to do. It's, yeah. It is a pretty interesting We uh, have listeners project, in Germany that know? we could send there Germany. to tape it. Swedish, I mean Sweden. I thought he said Germany. Did he say Germany? No, no, it's it's Sweden. Yeah, Sweden. <laughs> Stockholm. Well, we probably have some <laughs> listeners in Sweden too. I'm sure. Darren's got Stockholm syndrome in the igloo. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe mean, it's not Germany. I don't know what the fuck. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just, you know, it's this it's this whole thing where I'm just like I've had such like if I try and send a message to freaking Columbia about hey I want to do this thing, it doesn't have any clout. But I'm just like I I want to talk to this woman and yeah, be like hey yeah. you. 
Could you, you know, I, just, I almost don't even want to be saying this because it's like a uh, plan, you know, kind of thing. I'm like, okay, that was my angle, you know, but whatever, I'm going to voice it. Yeah, you know, it's pretty cool. It's pretty I'm cool looking at that movie. That's an epic movie to see. I've never seen it before, I don't think. Or I might have seen it. I kind of recognize a little bit of it, but it's pretty epic watching it with Abba in the background. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, I did another, I, Right before this call, actually, I uh, changed out the video to the one I had prior, which is actually puts the volume up in between tracks. And I might even play with it a bit further just to perfect it, especially if I'm going to be projecting it for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, some of these have the volume rate and sometimes it's extremely meticulous process. I mean, I, I've spent many all night done many all nighters working on these things. Well, multiple all nighters, you know, because uh, some of them, you know, I'm, I'm playing with the volume in it. And some of them I just leave it because that feels more appropriate. And so, but then, you know, at times it gets really uncanny, like the field of dreams one, the recent one with uh, bull Durham and center field, like that one, I just go with the volume for both films back and forth through the whole thing. At any time that there's the slightest break in the vocals, I come in with the, with the films, you know, and uh, that's really satisfying when they land like that. Cause it's one thing for it to land in the first place, but then for it to go that far with that, it's kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if it's just some big crazy simulation That's that what just I was thinking. gets entangled with itself and it's using similar algorithms or right. some shit we can't understand. I get the it's feeling using the it's... racist algorithms. No, it's more like somebody playing a video game and lining all this stuff up and just figuring out, like, can they put all these puzzles in our matrix and get people to figure it out? Yeah, maybe. Right, I, or it's just I don't know. All subtle nuance of the fucking machine, not the not, fucking kicker is though. It's like you guys. not bothering is... to make extra work. You know, the same as the argument that the inside of the tree doesn't exist because it's like, fuck it, I don't need to do that right now. <laughs> if you cut the tree down, I'll deal I've with it. I've never heard that argument. And now before. they're like, you oh, change that argument. No, nah, I didn't change it. You just confused. <laughs> But and now David is breaking the code. So you yeah, get ready for some Da Vinci Code shit to start going down. The closer well, you get. So if you if you watch my well, so I made a seven and a half hour film and it's it's the length that it is as an homage to two thousand one Space Odyssey, because as not just that, but the tagline for two thousand one. So all the original posters that went out were the ultimate trip. And so the all these people dosed acid to go to the theater to watch it and then it was like it's now whatever 142 minutes and so once it's over they're high as fuck and then they got to walk out into the street and like you know find their way <laughs> home you know straight. or wherever they're going you know so it's like because so i was like you know even though i'm my whatever it's not a theater thing or whatever i was like the principal of the thing i was like i want to like make a film that's actually the length of a trip that is a true trip that's related to 2001 and so that's what my sorry cassandra film is oh i forgot uh, i was gonna do that well in my defense i don't think i've tripped out since Okay, but I'm planning. Well, Maybe we could do that on Grammarica Psilocybus too. We'll throw that on the speakers. Yeah, no, no, you got to gotta, gotta sit down and watch it through the whole trip. You can't just listen to it. It's got well, we'll it's a visual and an audio thing. And we'll throw it that is on a visual audio night rider, and we'll just fucking zoom. You can't watch. You got to drive. <laughs> well, uh, what I was going to say is that the thing is with that, and what I demonstrate in that film, which it takes a long time to to wrap around, I you know is that there's there's this and it's not just there it's all over the place there's a repeated phenomenon of where you'll have a huge event take place in this case it's two fires in the u.s the two biggest hotel fires in the u.s um one was at the the uh Weinkauf hotel in atlanta georgia in 1947 i think and the other one is at the mgm grand in 1980. now the film the visitor uh, was is an Italian film was released the day and year of the MGM fire, 
And the movie's about a little girl who there's basically demons and angels fighting over her soul. So she's kind of like a, a special power, like Messiah type figure. And they're, they're fighting for her. Um, but there's these really strange things that happen where like the little girl will like undo a fire escape with her mind. And like all these people will like crowd around the fire escape once it drops. And there's like no explanation, you know, it's like, why are they doing that like that? It's really weird. Like, but that was the big thing with the MGM fire was this place was built like a giant Mayan pyramid. All these people died, uh, but there was no fire escapes. So it was like, and then the, no alarms were set off. And they don't even really know how the fire started, and it's super suspicious. But then I'm like, okay, well, what is the probability for this movie to come out the day and year of the of the fire? And then if you watch the movie, one of the opening scenes, the whole thing takes place in Atlanta. And then one of the opening scenes, I'm looking at the screen. I'm like, okay, well, this is a this is a section of the city of Atlanta. And then I'm I'm like, and so I go to my friend who's obsessed with this movie anyway. It's a cult <laughs> classic or whatever, obscure, but it's still a cult thing. And I ask him, I'm like, hey, is this hotel from the uh, first biggest hotel fire in this in this shot in this movie that took place that was released the day and year of the second biggest hotel fire? And he's like, yeah, not only is it in the shot, but it's in directly in the center. And so I'm like, okay, so this movie pivots around through the thing. It pivots around the location of the first biggest hotel fire. Comes out the day. So like, there's not supposed to be prior knowledge of the event, right? There's supposed to be a, like a just a, a terrible thing that happened. Okay, a hotel caught on fire, you know? But it's like, that impl it's pl implies if you, you know, and otherwise it's just like, I don't know, something about the unconscious, right brain. I don't know what the yeah, fuck, how that could happen. There's a lot of that with 9-11 too. Yeah, but are you predicting that's it or causing it to happen? Are so you... the, right, that I, I, well, I, you know, they say synchronicity and a causal principle. That's that's the definition from, from Jung. So I don't really know. Are we looking at the wiring under the boards? Are they like lifting up rocks and finding all the strange worms underneath? What the <laughs> fuck is going on? But the thing is, is that ABBA then released their last album shortly after that called The Visit. Visitors. The Visitor, the movie was originally going to be called The Visitors, and there's actually posters for it that say that. Uh, but in that album, there's all these references to, to fire, like, and like dying in a friggin' fire. Like, like an angel passing through my room is totally, and like, and so this fire also uh, took place on Archangel Michael's feast day. <laughs> and Archangel Michael, and so there's this whole thing where the, the director of the film went by the uh, alias of Michael J. Paradise not his fucking name this took place in paradise nevada where the mgm fire was so like what are the chances of my archangel michael's feast day leading the souls for you know to, uh <laughs> like it's, it's too many it's, too many it's too much dude yeah so that is like if you watch my film that's what it's mainly focused on is these two fires but then i go in all these other directions because i'm basically uh the uh the 119 people died in the first one and so there's this this issue with Tisha B'Av. Like Tisha B'Av isn't just like okay, every two thousand years this thing happens. It's like this this is in the nature of like what was communicated through Greek tragedy and what the function of the Seder chorus was. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Nietzsche's early work of uh, the uh, birth of tragedy and no. from the spirit of music. Uh, but there's this there's this whole. It's actually what. Uh, uh, Burning Man is is modeled after beyond obviously the Wicker Man Golden Bow thing because I mean Golden Bow has a lot to do with the Wicker Man I don't know the, you, the sacrifice you know for the crops and all this stuff but uh, you know if you're looking at the layout of Burning Man from, a, from as an aerial view from above it's, yeah. it it matches the exact layout of Dionysian theater uh, <laughs> to the queue so the point where the man would be is actually the stage but in Dionysian theater everyone knew these plays they knew them inside and out and they watched them over and over and over again right. 
Uh, and then you have this whole thing where the actors are trying to literally like take embody that character to the to the point where they're basically like um, possessed by it. So kind of a uh, um, uh, what's his name the the Joker, you know, uh, yeah, the Heath yeah, Ledger yeah. kind of yeah. thing, you know, where you're like, how far are you going to take this, you know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's this whole thing where you got these people dressed up as satyrs, and there's three sections to the satyr chorus, and they play music. And the music that they play and the lyrics that they're presenting literally drown out the sound from the stage for the most part. So people are listening to this music and the music is meant to be the subtext of what's going on in the play. Because the people know it so well, it doesn't freaking matter. They know what those lines are in the play. They have them memorized. Hmm. And so you have this whole audience and it seems like they're just, you know, it's a total psychedelic thing because it's Dionysian, right? Dionysus intoxicant, right? You know, whatever. It doesn't have to be toxic, but you get what I mean. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. entheogens, who knows what was going on. But the point is that they're relating through this interface of the Seder chorus. And so my feeling on what I'm looking at is that this shit is not for the public. It's for the producers. It's not intended for mass consumption. That's the whole point. If somebody, if you produce something, like if you have a connection to your, to your own art, it, wouldn't it be interesting to have a way that you could share that and relate to it on your own terms without the way that it was, you know, presented to everyone else? Can you communicate another point through, through, through your art? Like, so people ask me, like, sometimes I'll show these to people and initially before they've sat through one, you know, they'll be like, why would they do this? Why would they do this? And like, from all my experience of over 20 years of playing with this shit, I'm just like, why on earth wouldn't they do this? This is fucking where it's at. Cause you can, you can, it's extremely subversive. And it's not like, I mean, people, people tend to go after the artists, like before they go after fucking real criminals that blows my mind, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying that like artists don't, you know, who knows what the fuck shit goes on. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, what about the fucking rap pack with the satanic church and who God knows how they're involved in certain things, you know, no one wants to mention that Susan Atwell, uh, uh, what is it? Atkins, uh, who actually killed Sharon Tate was a member of the satanic church. And had you know was basically got out of a coffin and pointed at her next victim and shit with you know with likely Sharon Tate was in the room you know it's like can't admit, like that wasn't in court you know I wonder why you know but uh, <laughs> anyways I just find it really interesting that there's this there's this repeated issue where it's like the people like what art does art art by necessity you know like and well I don't know people can make other arguments but what I see as real art is like if, if you can if you can produce a song and have double or triple meanings and get it out there and to be able to get out what you, because of restrictions that are on us in society, to be able to navigate that and communicate something else. There is a, that is a true art form. Yeah. It's like the like ultimate puzzles. That, like if you're editing the end yeah. of a movie and you, and you want to sync it to a couple songs and hide some sort of puzzle in there. I mean, that's the ultimate, right. ultimate law. I mean, room. on a simpler level, just the way more people are generally familiar with it is the song facts thing where it's like, if you're like, okay, uh, um, Moonlight Drive, The Doors, where it's like, let's swim to the moon, let's climb to the tide, penetrate the evening that the city sleeps to hide. That song is totally about having sex with a woman who's menstruating, or girl in this case, because it's like young people going for the moonlight drive or whatever. But that's why it's a swim to, uh, swim to the moon, climb to the tide. He's talking about how you don't have to worry about pregnancy because she's bleeding. So, the, and, it, and if there was any question, it's confirmed at the end of the song when he goes, you know, um, uh, uh, children of the caves will let their secret fires glow or whatever. No, uh, uh, the, oh God, baby's going to drown tonight. He says that. He says, going down, 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 baby's going to drown tonight. Yeah. What yeah. the fuck? 
Like, give me a break. That was on the radio is my point. Yeah. Like that got radio play, like come together right now over me three way story. Like, come, I mean, give me a break. Why is he so hard to see? He's so good looking. He's so hard to see because there's two people on top of him. Lucy and you the know? sky with diamonds and all that. Totally. Which then they, at the time they said, no, it was a, John says, no, it's a drawing that my kid did. <laughs> Had nothing to do with that. And then years later you got Paul McCartney being like, no, that was about, that was an acronym for LSD. No yeah. question. Yeah. And then it's like, we all knew that anyway, but it's like, they can deny, deny, deny all they want to. You ask Roger Waters, what he thinks of dark side of the Wizard of Oz. He's like, Oh, you know, people crazy, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, I think it was, um, it was one of the other members of the band. I David can't remember. Ryder Mason, uh, not David Gilmore, uh, could have been Mason, but he basically, he was asked, um, uh, I saw, I saw, uh, it wasn't an interview. Somebody just asked him in passing what he thought of dark side of the moon, the wizard of Oz. And he turned, he's like, Oh, well, have you ever tried any other albums with any other films? And he kind no of smiles way. and then he keeps walking. He totally says that. <laughs> I was like, what? I, I wish I could find it. I tried to find it again, like a, a while back and I couldn't spot it, but it's, it's out there. I'll, I swear you can find this fucking video. It exists. Uh, but yeah, it's just a little clip. And he has this kind of response with a smirk on his that's face cool, yeah. like oh that's fucking priceless yeah. you know uh but yeah you know it's just i so that's the thing too is like i'm like well if it's happening at all it's happening a lot because there's no like okay somebody just thought to do like you know with the older stuff too it's like why wouldn't i don't know it I, could, I, it could I, be i mean now that you're talking about it then there is so many examples it could be a little inner secret around that you know in, in there as well you know a little you know, kind of a thing like that the producers do. Your and... food at the restaurant. What? It's like an oh. inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all like that. Well, uh, you know, it's just to to have a secret be half revealed and half concealed at the same time is so masonically classic. Yeah. You know what I mean? The principle of that thing, you know, it's and almost how like giving you, you permission you to do it, right? Because you told the people you could, you know, you told you told them. You you disclose right. the truth in a hidden way, so that gives you permission to do those right. acts that may well, not I mean, be. There's the phenomenon of, of so there's a classic uh, method of, there's a trick that, that Kabbalists would do where they can take a text and they'll take another text and they'll interweave them. And it's the same word for prayer, like if your hands are folded in prayer, you know. Um, it's just a, a Kabbalistic uh, literary device uh, that's referenced, you know, in, in uh, different places. Uh, but there's this whole thing where, I, I was looking at Jim Morrison's An American Prayer, and I noticed that uh, every section, little section, had a dash. His original handwriting and his original notebook of when he wrote An American Prayer. And so I went through the whole thing and counted each dash. And I saw that it fit perfectly into uh, Alistair Crowley's first section of the Book of the Law. And in the Book of the Law, Crowley's, in that section, he says, leave the, first sec uh, leave the second section unattacked but he invites you to attack the first section. And so I'm like, it becomes this crazy psychedelic conversation. I have it on my, on my blog from a long time ago, from like 2010 or whatever, when I put it together. But uh, if you interweave an American prayer and the book of the law, it achieves this incredible effect where I swear to fucking God, it's a total conversation. There's things that are said that are so, you know, he's like, uh, Crowley be like, nor do I demand ought and sacrifice. The next line from Morrison is blood, 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 blood. They're making a joke of our universe. You know, he's like, oh, here comes the goat or whatever. You know, it's like, you know, he, he, uh, what is he says? Behold, Coley has behold my light shed over you. And then the next line from Morrison is the moths and atheists are doubly divine and dying. You know, my light shed over you, the moths. It's like, it's, it's you know, moth, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, dude, I'm just, I'm saying it's a, it's a total trip. And it's an example of the same principle of the thing where it's like, how do you subversively, 
communicate something without having it be, you know, um, exoteric, you know, how can you, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. So what are you going to do after you travel back to, uh, Sweden there and try and schmooze that, uh, curator? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I just keep producing my stuff and just kind of like, you know, hoping that it stays up, yeah, you know, yeah, hoping yeah, that I'm yeah, able yeah. to stay afloat in my yeah. world. Cause you never know. I've, I've lost a lot of my work over time, you know, and had crazy shit happen. And so, you know, it's, it's I'm just trying to, to navigate the waters as, as best I can. I, I just, um, got my old job back driving a taxi cab. So oh, nice. Okay. Drive a cab around town, biodiesel yeah. taxi. It's Mercedes. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, good boss and stuff. And so, you know, I, I, I left my other job with my rabbi uh, after 12 years. And so that's kind of a long personal story, but you wow, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of shifts going on, you know? So um, does that give you time to consume? Do, do, do you, when you're driving a taxi, does that give you time to do research and consume while you're not busy? Oh, it's like, just you a got, lot you of conversation. Go, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I like, it, you know, I mean, I've, I've been spending a lot of time just kind of like hermiting out and that's been good because I've accomplished more creatively than I have at any other point in my life, yeah, especially yeah. in the last year. Yeah. So, you know, I had a near death experience with ayahuasca where my intestine twisted shut and had to spend five days in the hospital no and I purged for 20 way. hours straight. And, uh, the doctor, the head doctor at the hospital was like, you would have been dead within the hour if we didn't get you when we did, you know, it was this whole, it was just, just this fucking horrific event. And then it was a catalyst for the end of a four and a half year relationship. It happened on my girlfriend's birthday and it's just, you know, Holy all this, f- yeah, that was a while ago. I had some cr- crazy shit go down. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a trip, uh, trip during ayahuasca where you felt your intestines, like you knew that that's what was happening. And then when you went to the hospital, well, I didn't I know what was happening. I just felt like I was shot in the stomach all night. So like it was the most excruciating pain I've I've ever felt by far, yeah. And then was it from the ayahuasca? Just because ayahuasca is a is a purgative. Yeah, you were purging, and uh, and that's what happened. Combined with that, uh, when I was young, when I was like ten, I got uh, I had ulcers, and so uh, it it caused uh, the elasticity of my intestine right below my stomach to change, and so because of that, combined with the thing, it was just like a perfect storm of that you know whatever it did this thing. And so, yeah, twisted shut and, uh, that, and that was, you know, seriously 20 hours of vomiting straight. So, and I was just dry heaving and, you know, still, even in the morning, even 20 hours later, I was still purging the medicine. I could see the medicine, you know, I was like, Whoa, uh, that was my eighth time doing it. And I still recommend it to people. I'm not down on ayahuasca. It was yeah, just, yeah. You know, she was, yeah. she was really hard on me, you know, <laughs> did, you, did you have, did you have a, like a, a sort of some of the typical NDE type stuff happen or was it just a more of a real bad trip? Oh, I went, I went, um, completely numb from head to toe. I hyperventilated on the hospital floor. Jesus. And so, yeah, no. And I, I, every time I would purge, I was still getting these really intense visions, you know, it was like really coming through. It was, it was intense. I was still high. Even there was no amount of purging that was stopping that, you know, and, uh, even 20 hours later, which does not seem right, but it was because it wasn't going down. Yeah. Yeah. So it did, it did yeah. this thing. It's like you're on a um, micro dose all the time. It's just slow feeding you. It was, it was a trip. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, whatever, like that's, uh, like a lot of things, you know, it's like you, um, there's when there's futility involved, it makes it a lot easier if you can come to terms with the, with the idea of futility, you know, uh, cause it's like, there's, there's no point. What am I, who am I going to, what am I going to (laughs) do? I can only do what I can, you know? So it's like, uh, 
uh, it, puts the, it, it helped put a lot of things in perspective. It also really like taught me about how limited my time is here, you yeah, know, and yeah. wanting to get it together to, to not, you know, waste my whole experience. I, I will waste it to a degree, but, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, but <laughs> I it, it, try, it changes. Try share what I can and yeah. do what I can, you know, like, um, right yeah. On. Yeah. Well, this has been a great chat, eh? Yeah. That's right, good. yeah. Mind blown again. Wow. It brought oh, back it brought back a lot of things from the other episode that I had forgotten about. Cool. All the pranks of the trip out thing. Yeah. Maybe I'll just lock myself in here with some mushrooms and a webcam. We'll just fucking <laughs> plow through it. <laughs> well, you know, I I, I feel like I should, if I do that, I should align that with some sort of cause, and it can be like a thing where people can can donate to some charity and it just goes up while I'm in here just like <laughs> <laughs> like a trapped rat lock the door yeah yeah lock the studio in. locks from the outside so Graham could lock me right in here oh despite all your age Actually, we shouldn't have yeah. said that you shouldn't say that <laughs> oh one day we'll just go after the show we can't get out was I talking did they hear me <laughs> someone's trapped mouse <laughs> in your own studio of course this is live so you can't even edit it I don't hate uh, it anyway. Yeah. It's right on, be well, raw, thank, baby. Yeah, thanks for coming on again. Oh, thank you, man. I totally appreciate it. And uh yeah, if you could just get the uh links uh in there so that people can check out my work, that that would be awesome. I'm, yeah, I'm, for I'm, sure. I have to, thank you so much. Yeah, I'll what put, is I'll the URL the... again for the people that are too lazy to check out the show notes? Oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, hang on, hang on. He just he knocked he knocked the cord. Okay, yeah. Okay, you're back. Okay, syncbook dot okay. com, right? Yeah, you go to the syncbook.com and you see syncflix with an X flix. Uh that's uh it would actually if you were to type it all out, it would be the syncbook.com slash sync media research. Uh, but if you just go to the syncbook.com, you'll see Syncflix. If you click on there, there'll be um a hundred uh full length feature. Uh, album film pairings that I've put over 20 years of work into nice. uh, uh, discovering. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, so uh, they're the highest quality that I was able to get them. And we made it a point, me and my friend in France, to be able to to do what we did. And uh, th- th- because of what they are, sometimes for people's computers, it can be a little challenging. For my computer, it's no big deal. And for most people's, it's no big deal. But for some, they express that. So that's why we included a download option right below each film. So okay. if you click on the film and then the film comes up, you can see download. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I'll tell you, they're, they're, uh, they deliver. So, you know, right check it on. out. Right on, buddy. Well, thanks. Yeah, that's great. Great, uh, great chat. Good stories. Good synchronicities. Some crazy stuff. Good times. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Always fun. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Take care, guys. Okay. See you later. Bye. And that was our chat with David Charles Platt, number two. Yeah, that was great. Crazy shit, man. I wish, oh, man, we got to have bullet all those little things, all those dates and all those crazy coincidences. I was writing it all down here. I was writing like this, like doing some automatic writing. You're not automatic writing if you're listening to something like that. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Well, yeah, I was like, but I wasn't writing down everything. I was just, he would that's say what I do. That's what I do with the show notes every episode. <laughs> so when I do show notes, it's just automatic writing. <laughs> Look at mine. That's what I do. That's every day.
Well, I put mine into an artistic set. <laughs> did you take a picture of it at least? No, I just erased it. <laughs> really? Oh, it... I think I did take a picture. <laughs> you can't, that's the short-term memory. You can't even remember they took a picture of his latest artwork. <laughs> I think we're still oh, alive, too. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's good. Something about the live chats that make us laugh. <laughs> I forgot we were. So, big thanks, David, coming back on the show. Uh, always a fun one. Yeah, that was good. That was great. That was kind of mind-blowing. It was better longer. I think we went a little longer this time. Did we? Yeah. yeah. Well, it flew by. It's one of those. Yeah. It always does. By. It always does. So make sure you check out the show notes and check out uh, David's website. Share it with your friends. Just like you're supposed to share the show with your friends. Uh, of course, check out goamerica.ca slash support. Uh, there's a bunch of different ways there. We've got the new website. It's going to take you right away to the... Um, to the support page where you can sign up for a monthly or you can do a one-time donation. That'll get you access to our extra content. Black budget feed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if you can't do that. You can tell your friends, you know, maybe do a jingle, share the show, review the show. There's a whole list of stuff in the show notes. If you just check the show notes and do those things once, that would be just super fabulous. Anything? You got anything else? No, that's it. We can't do it without the listeners, really. Can't do it without yeah. you guys. All right, guys, uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
Hailstorm damage got you blue? Sunburn get you let down? Well, introducing the new Gem Trails. Gem Trails are a convenient new chemtrail that we plow through your sky to ensure you with the haziest and non-blue sky that you could have. Gem Trails. Choose from our variety of geo-engineered aerosols loaded with toxic chemicals. Some chemicals may include barium, strontium-90, aluminum, cadmium, zinc, viruses of all sorts and varieties, and chafe which actually looks like snow, but may actually be fibers coated with aluminum, desiccated blood cells, plastic, and paper. All chemtrails can be conveniently customized for your needs. Just ask our friend here, James Cruz. Gemtrails. James Cruz ordered the barium, strontium-90, and the chafe. And the chafe he chose was desecrated blood cells in plastic. Gem trails. So I'm sitting in my backyard, getting sunburned constantly, and I hear this ad come on the radio. Gem trails. Gem trails. And what they can do for you is amazing. For 33 payments of $333. Gem trails. No more sunburn. Thanks, Gem Trails. Gem Trails. Thanks, Gem Trails. Gem Trails. That's right, James. For 33 easy payments of $330, you too could have a hazy sky with zero sun and zero sunburn. Gem Trails. With our brand new technology coming straight out of MIT, we fitted an airplane with nozzles and we can come to any area in the world and spray your backyard. Chemtrails. Warning, warning, warning. Symptoms associated with chemtrails include aneurysms, strokes, heart attacks, and cancer. Chemtrails. Other side effects may include irradiated breast milk, anal leakage, jock itch, runny nose, irregular vaginal discharge, glaucoma, heavy metal poisoning, lockjaw, and low sperm count, persistent hacking, coughing, upper respiratory and intestinal distress, pneumonia, extreme fatigue, disorientation, lethargy, dizziness, splitting headaches, elevated arthritis symptoms, nosebleeds, blah, 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 blah yada, yada, etc., etc., doctors, blah, 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 uh, death. If you want it, we spray it. So get your gem trails today. Call 1-900-GRAY-SKY. That's 1-900-GRAY-SKY. That's 1-900-W-E-F-U-C-K-E-D. Thanks, Jim Jones. Jim Jones. <laughs>